This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, rested and uh, completely relaxed. As we start a new week, I took the entire week off last week. Did you get to work on that book you've been talking about? Uh, Ish. Mm, So no. Well, what I did is I organized all of my files Ah. for the book. Because I've got hundreds of pages of files, of content for the book. Mm. But I have to organize it. Yeah, but I've started. Yeah, it's good. All right. Because usually be you say you, you you plan on, and when yeah. you get there, you don't actually yeah. get to it. No, I got, I got, but I, yeah, we watched a lot of golf, mm. amazingly. The Masters was on. and uh, The Masters. Uh, twist the Ankle, Finau, amazing show of him hitting a hole-in-one on hole-in-one day, par three day. Yeah, it was Wednesday last week. Runs yeah. backwards, twists his ankle in a really gnarly As Saturday Night Live moment. said, this shows the golfers are not athletes. He was simply celebrating and okay. dislocated I, his ankle. I'll take anybody on the Saturday Night Live sketch skit set no, and no. have them twist their ankle and have them just push it back. They're not saying place. they're athletes. They're just calling on other people who aren't yeah. athletes. They're not trying to say they are. Did they say that? Yeah, it's, it was funny. It was pretty nasty. But then he just pops it back into place and got up. Just, and then, yeah. by the way, he had a killer round his last round. It was like 66 he shot. It's amazing. Which was, they said 64. Someone, uh, whoever finished second tied us, uh, shot a 64, which tied the, the course record, I Woo! think. So a 66 in your final round, you'd get him into tied ah. for 10th. So. See, it's weird because I, um, I go away for a week and I come back. Mm. Jeff's gone. Mm. By is. the way, Becca Hurley now replacing Jeffrey Liam Simpson. Hello, Becca. Hello. Good morning. Good to have you. Thanks. Uh, so Jeff must have done something really wrong when I was gone. Or... Something really right. Okay, that's a better way to look at it. And he's getting new opportunities. We knew that Jeff would not be on the show much longer. Once we saw the great talent of Becca Hurley, she's killing it. And she's, I see you, she's, uh, she comes from a clown family. It's true. That's and rude. her name is, her clown name. I kind of want to see what you come up with with this one. Was Slappy Pants. Oh, ouch. Was it that? No, it's Teaspoon. <laughs> teaspoon. That's right. Uh, that's what we but used that's to a call Jeff. I'll keep that as a backup pants. just in case. Yeah. I need like an alter ego. What was your brother's name? Oh, uh, it was Lil Squirt. Lil Squirt. And Thumper. Yeah. Mm. That's what I used to call my boys here. Lil Squirt? Yeah. Jeff and Terry. Um, so <laughs> good, to, but good to have you here, Becca. This is, this is fun. We will miss Jeff, of course. We love Jeff to death. But Jeff's not going anywhere. He's, he's just, you know, he's so talented that they're using him in other ways. I feel like he graduated. You know, we're all still here, but he's he's moved yeah. up. Wow. It's kind of sad. Mm. I come back, too, uh, and I hadn't seen you because you've been on family duty. You went on a little spring break trip to Legoland. Yes, in Every, San Diego. That was, good? That was yeah. fun. You healthy? Yeah. Everyone survived? Uh, you yeah. with your parents, your your in-laws, your brother-in-laws? No, 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 no. just my parents, my brother, my officer. sister, and their family, just 13 of us. Sounds like fun. Hanging out at amusement parks and yeah. other things. So, yeah. It's it a great. good time of year. Yeah. It's a great time of year. Okay. So, we'll get to all of that fun. And, by the way, I have a whole thing of new buttons. Yeah. They put those in last week. Somebody's playing button, button. One of them, you can talk to me. Okay. Yeah. In the other room. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, this button here, you can talk to Becca. Yeah. Granted, she's 
two feet away. But I could just talk to her. It's going to make it a lot harder for me and to ignore him now. There's this fun button where apparently you can talk to people on the phone. Excellent. Without being live on the air. So I can just call my house. I guess. I'm not sure what the the functionality of that is. But again, new buttons. Try not to push them while we're on the air. I'm not sure what that does when we're live. But. Yeah, we'll, we'll try them all out this whole <laughs> This whole day, this whole week, we're going to be messing with the buttons. Okay, great. Uh, let's get to the headlines, Terry. What should we be paying attention to in the news? At least 14 people have been killed in a missile attack on a Syrian airbase following international condemnation of a suspected chemical attack on a rebel-held town by government forces. Wow. Uh, the attack struck an airbase near the city of Homs. Uh, Syrian state news initially said the U.S. was most likely behind the attack, but the Pentagon denied any involvement, and Russia has named Israel as the attacker. Apparently the city's close to their border. But don't you find it ironic that one minute Trump's saying he's pulling out of Syria, and the next no. thing you know, we're dropping another—not we're. Somebody yeah. drops a bomb with, I don't know, with a horrible agent in it. Hmm. A chemical weapon attack, which would be the exact thing that would want to, that the U.S. would retaliate against and stay in the war for. Right. And so Trump, right when we may be leaving, somebody— Trump on Twitter point, uh, what blamed the, uh, the animal uh, Assad, who's the president of Syria, who's, and also blamed Russia yeah. for enabling him. Okay, there you go. Essentially. All right. So Trump's on it. We'll see how that works. The Pentagon spokesperson said, at this time, the Department of Defense is not conducting airstrikes on Syria. However, we continue to closely watch the situation and support the ongoing diplomatic efforts to hold those who use chemical weapons in Syria and otherwise accountable. Wow. Wow. The attack came after President Trump warned that there would be a big price to pay for the suspected gas attack on the rebel-held town, and he's believed to have killed 40 people, including children, in the gas attack. So, oh, man. We'll see. Last time there was a gas attack, photos came out of kids being killed in this. Yes. Trump ordered a, a, a missile attack. Happened to be on an airbase no one was using, but uh, we looked tough because yeah, we launched a bunch of missiles. So will President are... Trump do anything? Who knows? We'll see. North Korean officials have directly notified the United States that leader Kim Jong-un is prepared to discuss his country's nuclear weapons program when he meets with President Trump. This according to the Associated oh, wow. Press. Two members of the Trump administration confirmed with the AP Sunday... The North Korea directly communicated with the U.S., but would not say when or how this contact occurred. Carrier pigeon. Yeah. They don't say that, but that's they what they use. That's what they do. Last month, South Korean leaders visiting uh, Washington passed along an invitation to Kim uh, from Kim to Trump to hold a summit with Trump immediately accepting the offer. They have not yet set a date. Now, but, but behind the scenes, they're working like crazy. I guess. There's, there's private... Secure talks going on as we speak. Well, Called back channels. Back channel talk. Through Switzerland, because that's how you do it. That's how I would do it. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg will meet with lawmakers on Capitol Hill today as a warm-up for tomorrow when he begins his two days of hearing that marks Silicon Valley official concession to D.C. after years of, you know. Dancing. Independence and being all uppity with look how awesome we are with our little phones and stuff <laughs> the hearings begin a high stakes phase in the sudden overdue national conversation about users relationship with tech and how giant companies should be scrutinized and regulated zuckerberg is a rare witness without natural allies among questionnaires uh, both sides want to score points against big tech so both democrats and republicans yeah no friends there for for mr zuckerberg zuck plans to try to exude humility and contrition not a trademark of him. 
he seems very cold, robotic, and devoid of personality is kind of how he comes across. As he had on, uh, he has on his apology tour of interviews in three weeks since the Cambridge Analytica data mining story broke. Also, Facebook will begin telling its roughly 2.2 billion users on Monday if they were among the 87 million individuals who might have had their information shared with data firm Cambridge Analytica. So look out for that in your Facebook well, you notifications, know, I guess. No matter what he's like, he sure made a great app. Oh, yeah. And website, I guess. Right. For I mean, it's good stuff. Gathering data for commercial Starting purposes. To, I think it's going to be around for a while. You so. think so? Yeah. Hmm. Facebook. We'll see. People are people are moving away. I know. Not in large amounts. And not, you know, advertisers aren't pulling out, obviously. But, but it's not know. like they don't own Instagram. Right. And Which does the same thing. Yeah. So they're going to find a way to find your I data. I told you I was looking for couches. And I occasionally look at shoes, and that's all I see in ads now is couches, oh, mattresses. Oh, yeah. And so every mattress company you could possibly imagine is advertising to me now on Instagram. Well, that's that's got to be boring for your Facebook time every day. It kind of is. Until you find one that's interesting, you're like, oh, wow, that 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 one looks pillowy soft. Look at that. Have you used the Facebook Marketplace yet? No. No. It's really interesting. It's it's, it's like much yard. superior to Craigslist now, so like Is it really? Yeah, it's a it's a really It's the cool yard thing. sale of the internet. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Finally, the approach to maternity leave has some companies in Japan uh on many on social media saying the employers laid an egg. Kind Uh-oh. of an odd phrasing for the story. Some companies are asking female workers to take turns getting pregnant so it's not too tough on their bosses. Um, guys, we need to rotate our babies. Um, this is out of USA Today. Crazy. Women are encouraged, are encouraged to refrain from getting pregnant at the same time as their colleagues. This way, several women aren't taking maternity leave at the same time. A shortage of childcare and widespread wow. over time have led to some employers in Japan viewing pregnancy as a selfish lifestyle choice. Ooh, that's wow. ridiculous. Now, my wife, her office had this situation where three people in the office had babies at the same time. Yeah, that's... So they're all trying to take leave. And then when she came back, uh, the woman she works with in the office, I believe, had a baby also and left on maternity. Uh, so her, We're going to have a moratorium on babies. Her section of the office was not functional for 18 months. Well, I mean, well not 18 months. It was long, like six months. How long has our section of the office been un- dysfunctional? Like from day one. I know, so. Yeah. We had nothing to do Should with babies. Should a business maybe set up a <laughs> spreadsheet or a calendar so people could plan their pregnancies um, and then sorry, require them to? Everybody, you must plan ahead. My wife's like, how do you plan that? I'm like, yeah. well, you know, there's ways. Man. Okay, well, a little lesson for everybody out there. There are ways. There are ways. Oh, that's just crazy what this world's coming to. Hey, up next, we're going to be talking politics with our Washington insider, Joe Cannon. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, and uh, because it's Monday, it's time to talk politics. We can't do it without some help because I'm clueless in the political reign or era uh, and area. So we bring in Joe Cannon. Joe is our Washington insider. He's just Joe in the know, we call him. Very um, astute politically and uh, has has spent a lot of time in his life 
touching his toe into the world of politics. He was the chairman of the Utah Republican Party, also was a Deseret uh, Morning News uh, editor, which also gives us some good insight into what it takes today to um, to make a paper work as well. Um, also was and is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which is an organization that's trying to lower fuel costs here in the United States. We bring Joe in to just see if he can make any sense of what's going on uh, politically back east. Joe, welcome to the show. How are you, my friend? Thanks, Matt. Great. How are you doing? You sound good. I, I'm very well rested. I had an entire week off. It was heaven on earth. Yeah. So nice. So, uh, but meanwhile, and it's actually nice too because I disconnected from pretty much everything except the Masters uh, golf tournament. So, um, the most important thing that happened last week. That's, that's exactly right. was. So, talk to me. Tony, Utah's own Tony Fino. Did you see that? Top 10. Amazing. Yeah. And well, so, I didn't see yesterday. I didn't see, I've yeah. never seen the final, but I definitely he, followed it. But apparently, he's that, I guess that gives him a free ticket next year. He can come right back. Because he had such right, a great six, showing. Six birdies in a row on the back nine. Yeah. Big deal. That's a huge deal. Um, and, you know, and he twisted his ankle, put it back into place, and then just kept <laughs> oh, walking. That was amazing. That is cool. So talk to me about, speaking of twisting ankles, um, it seems like uh, President Trump continues to to be his mercurial self. He's he's up and down. He's all over the place. But it's, it's almost like he's ready to go it alone. Uh, even... Uh, General Kelly, his um, chief of staff, is now threatening to leave or has made a threat to leave at one point or not another. What uh, I mean, is it OK? Maybe this is just how Trump runs his office. What's the problem with with having everybody leave and just having a lot smaller staff? <laughs> well, I mean, it is the, it is the. U.S. government that we're talking about. That's here. true. We're not talking about. We're not even talking about General Motors or IBM or or Exxon Mobil. We're talking about the the United States government. Uh, um, I mean, there are there are many many hundreds of, of thousands of people working to make the government work. So I mean, that is happening uh, in, in in a lot of places. But you know, he's kind of. Um, you know, there's this American archetype of uh, the kind of the Lone Ranger, High Noon, you know, yeah. uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I mean, there are all kinds of, you know, big heroic images of um, of um, guys coming in and cleaning up Dodge City. And he definitely, I think, feels himself in that mode, acting in that mode. Um it's, but notwithstanding how he acts publicly, there actually are people doing work. Even, even General Kelly, who I guess sounded frustrated last week, um, so far anyway, still on the job. Yeah, he does, hasn't left. Well, and and many are saying that it's out of duty. I mean, you, there's there is still a lot riding on all of this presidency and. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think I think he's getting very he Kelly, yeah. getting very high marks for for being a soldier, soldiering on. That's cool. I mean, that really is uh, to know that they because a lot of people just would have said, "I'm done. I'm not going to have everything work around me if I'm your chief of staff. I can't do it that way." What do you think about um, the trade war, if if that's what we're calling it, where? President Trump slaps tariffs on China, so China slaps tariffs back, and now 
President Trump, you know, you know, ups the ante of tariffs. Are, are we now in a trade war with China? Yeah, boy, we're definitely in a skirmish, which could easily turn into a war. I, I guess that's how I would look at it right now. Overall, the kind of the reciprocal trade between U.S. and China is $700 billion. Wow. It's a very big number. So the numbers that we're talking about and the items that we're talking about are are um, – well, they're not, in, they're not trivial because, you know, China – Picked some very politically sensitive uh, uh, commodities to, to go after. Right. But right right now, there's a, a lot of angst, a lot of, as the Germans say, Sturm und Drang. There's a lot of uh, anger back and forth, a lot of words going back and forth. But we'll see if it turns into an actual trade war. A real trade war happened in the 1930s with the Smoot Hawley tariffs. There, the government imposed duties of up to 60% on 20,000 different products coming wow. to the United States. And that, that I think the, the stock market dropped by 75%. There are a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people say that was one of the triggers for the, uh, the Great Depression. So we're, we're, we're kind of not in Smoot-Hawley tariff land, but we could be and you know, moving in that direction. It's so hard to know whether how much of this is jawboning, how much of this is is uh, just trying to get the Chinese to uh, come to the table or to change their behavior. There's no question that the Chinese have done a lot of things that favor their industry and, and uh, hurt uh, America. So, you know, I think a lot of people agree on that. The question is what, if anything, to do about it. China is also the largest holder of American debt. Yeah. They own a lot of our federal government debt. And, and just uh, over the weekend, their ambassador to the U.S. sort of noted that fact. You know, oh, wow. Without, without threatening, just said, oh, yeah, well, you know, maybe uh, we have to look at a lot of things here. Um, so pardon, I think uh, uh, the kind of one real uh, flame amidst all this smoke is a huge war going back and forth over American intellectual property. Right. That that seems to be where it's most concrete. Is uh, you know so the the uh, the U.S. government has denied two big uh, 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 mergers that would have involved the Chinese companies owning significant American intellectual property. Uh, there, there's a, there's a big you know war over that. The question is how, if at all, could that be won? I don't know, but that does seem to be where the you know if if there's a flame amidst all these uh, all the smoke, it would be over American IP because they these companies then are, are forced to go in and show their IP, their intellectual property, their rights, their I guess even patents, their whatever to to do business there. And then the Chinese steal those, huh? Well, that's one thing they do. But in these in recent cases, they actually wanted uh, Chinese companies, which are, have substantial direct or indirect government ownership, and in any case, government control, uh, wanted actually just purchase big companies that own intellectual wow. property. So you have, two, you have two, like you say, there are two issues. One is the outright acquisition of American IP, and then B, what is forced to be 
disclosed by American companies or certain companies that just want to do business in China right now because they don't want their their intellectual property stolen from them. So it's a, it, that that is a, a more of a hot war, I think, um, than just a lot of this bluster over cars and and uh, and soybeans. Yeah. Man, so it's interesting, and and you don't know how informed Trump was about all those different variations and levels of the issue before he was starting to take on the Trump uh, or the trade war, because he was talking about tariffs through the through the election, and really it was it seems like he was just he was just keeping a promise he made uh, during the election, and um, well, a lot of this is that it's part keeping a promise. I think there's that, but. Apparently, you know, going back and just kind of preparing for your question this morning, uh, Trump has been on the Chinese bandwagon for a long time, like you know, a long time before he became a candidate. He made statements about the uh, unfairness of the government, Chinese government uh, engagement, interference, mm. you know, different words, with uh, trade policy. You know, um, relating to all kinds of things, the value of the yuan versus, you know, the dollar, uh, all kinds of things that they do that uh, he has thought for a long time that, uh, as he would say, give, make, gives America a bad deal when it comes to trade. So, man, so, yeah, this isn't new. Wow. Um, talk about a little bit of uh, – Again, it seemed like a misstatement that he made earlier. Then it comes out to be kind of real when when the when he wasn't getting the funding and the appropriations he needed for the wall or the to build that southern wall. Then he said, maybe we'll just have the military use military funds to do it. And now what he's done is signed a proclamation authorizing the use of National Guard on the southern border. Uh, Where where do you think that's going? It's like many, many things. There's a lot of murkiness under the sort of the headlines. So, um, uh, for, first of all, the I think the, where the rubber meets the road in this one is, is Secretary of Defense Mattis actually has signed an order authorizing 4,000 National Guard troops to be deployed along the border. Hmm. So that that's the one fact that we know. Uh, so far, but it, even that order has has um, you know conditions on it. So, for example, the National Guard can't perform quote law enforcement missions; they can only act in self defense. Hmm. But to put kind of put the numbers in perspective, so that's four thousand troops. Uh, there are nineteen thousand. Border Patrol agents. Now, you know, not all of those are on the southern border, but you know, a huge yeah. chunk of them are. So, so the the Border Patrol people are saying is, well, you're right. So the National Guard won't do our job per se on when it comes to actual law enforcement, but they will free up our resources to put more agents into the field to combat uh, drug cartels. So, you know, there's there's something material here. Uh, another interesting aspect of this is both President George W. Bush and President Obama deployed National Guard troops to the borders. Uh, ah. President Obama did it in 2010. He deployed 1,200 troops, and Bush in 2006 deployed 6,400, 6,000-plus 6, um, National Guard troops to the border there. 
mostly concerned with um, uh, drug dr- drug uh, trafficking. Yeah, but the other interesting kind of wrinkle on this whole thing is uh, so Texas and Arizona, you know, Republican governors basically, and and New Mexico, I think, uh, New Mexico a little more tentative, uh, basically said authorized. Uh, National Guard troops. So one fact that comes into all this is the National Guard has is has dual uh, kind of jurisdiction. The, the federal government, the, the military, U.S. military uh, army, but but also they're actually under the direction of the governors. So the right. governors can say yes or no. So you'd think, well, of course, Oregon. I think Oregon and Washington have already said no. So California has not said no. Yeah, that's kind of curious. They Interesting, said, yeah. But so when you dig into that a little bit, what you find out is that California already has National Guard units on the border, mostly focusing on counter drug operations. So you know, it's, you know, it's not it's just so black and white between <laughs> President Trump and Governor Brown, because already California recognizes, you know, okay, we have a drug problem here. And you've already got National Guard troops there. So um, there's just a lot of ambiguity around all this. Uh, there, there is a lot of uh, gamesmanship. It seems like, I mean, a lot of the news we hear is that Trump's just kind of shooting from the hip. But there, it seems like there's a lot of uh, real gamesmanship here. I mean, he's doing, he's getting stuff to happen that, and he's finding ways to do it that other presidents have done. He's not... Everything isn't so extreme as they make it sound in the news. Well, you've got two things. The president himself tweets out. I mean, there's nothing. It's totally, truly unprecedented, you know, how he deals with the media. Right. And then um, he does these things. And then, you know, lots of times somehow it works out. I mean, here, you know, he calls uh, the leader of North Korea, rocket man, insults him and does all, you know, makes him a kind of a punching bag. And everyone's thinking, well, gosh, we're headed to maybe some kind of confrontation. And all of a sudden they're talking to each other and they're talking about nuclear uh, disengagement. So, you know, I I don't know. He's a, he's, he's unorthodox and that definitely does lots of things that, other presidents haven't done, wouldn't do. Uh, on the other hand, sometimes they seem to work out. Do you think, uh, just as we wrap it up, do you think this will turn into a blue wave then, as many might predict? Is there going to be a big turn um, of of Congress uh, toward the Democrats? Could easily be. I mean, I don't think the Senate is at risk only because we have so many Democrats uh, up in red in red states that the president took by a substantial amount. The House, on the other hand, I don't. I mean, I, predictions are always really, you know, uncertain, especially in this area. But the Democrats need 23 seats to take control of the House. A typical. I don't know what counts as typical anymore, but typically over history. The president's party loses as many as 32 seats. Wow! In in the House on the off year election. Yeah. Um, so and you've got this. Uh, uh, all pollsters are showing a big uh, uh, 
enthusiasm gap between Republican, the Republican base and the Democrat base. And that matters so much in these, um, you know, off-year elections, midterm elections. You've got the Democrats have about a five-point, on average, um, advantage on the so-called generic ballot. You know, the question is, would you vote for a Democrat or Republican in your district? Well, right. Democrats win that by five five percent. And you've got, you've got also, uh, again, lots of real flames under the fire. You've got uh, Governor Scott Walker, who's a big, big veteran of these partisan wars in Wisconsin, saying, hey, we're in trouble, people. We're in, we're in trouble. Um, you've got McConnell saying, I don't know if there's a Category 3, 4, or 5 storm <laughs> coming. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's a, I, 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 I talked myself to one uh, you know, pretty, pretty good pollster who just says there's no way that the Republicans uh, keep the keep the house. Really? So to 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 be seen. I mean, lots of things can happen between now and then. I mean, on the Democrat side, what you do have is you have this seeming this where they have won, they've run as slightly more moderate, but in many of these Democrat races. The Bernie Sanders Elizabeth Warren wing seems to be winning hmm. in the uh, candidate selection process. And if that happens, that's, in my view, going to diminish their chances. They have to do what they did in Pennsylvania, run somebody who doesn't appear to hate, and in that case, I think doesn't hate, the average the Trump voter. Right. Pull that off. Wow. Um, anyways. Well. It's, 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 Right, right now, as things stand, to me, it looks like a blue wave in the House and that the Republicans hold on to the Senate. Mm. Well, Joe, you would uh, – let's go – we're going with your idea because the rest of us don't have the clue you do at least. Um, and again, like you said, this could change in a, just a, in, a, in a very quick season. So we appreciate you. Joe Cannon is his name. If you go to fuelfreedom.org, you can find out how Joe is fighting to lower fuel costs here in the United States. We just love having him on because he, he he's, has a clue about uh, some some of the things going on in Washington, at least some history and uh, background to, to make more sense of it all. We appreciate it. We'll continue the journey more straight ahead, do a little Coach's Corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Welcome back, friends. You know, um, having just had uh, like a week off with my family, I am, I've now decided we, we need more family time. We need to be together more as a family. It's amazing how, and, and I get it, everyone's at a different stage of life and family where... Uh, you know, it's not easy necessarily for everyone to get off work. Um, we had people coming and going all weekend. But it's also interesting to just no matter what the age, I, my kids are all 12 and older. Uh, three of them are, are in high school and junior high and the rest are college students. But to have the college students around, it was way fun to just have them back. And to I noticed to just take some time to tell the stories and to tell the history and to recount the memories and to kind of just regroup. We we need we need to find ways to to do this and I know it seems like there's a luxury of time 
But one of the things I I really want to make sure that we understand is that uh, making time is is something we do every day. And it was easy, I noticed, for everyone in the family to just fall back and you'd have this lull in conversation and interaction and you look around the room and everyone would be on their phones. But you can find time. You can make time. You can create a weekend. Um, even in the even in the most hectic examples, we uh, I had a uh, I have a brother in law that literally takes how many days? Maybe three days off a year because he just his business demands that you're always there. And um, so even to have him around was was pretty awesome too. There are moments, and so one of the, I guess, goals, the ideas I wanted to bring up during this Coach's Corner is to have us all look at our own lives, and are we making time to be a family? Are we making time to um, to turn off the equipment, to turn off the technology, to just spend some time together? And one of the things I might suggest, too, is that everybody right now, go figure out when your kids are off school, when your kids are going to be home when their summer vacation begins, and make sure you have found some time to take off. It might just be an, uh, you know, an extended weekend. It might be over one of the holidays, uh, a Labor Day or uh, whatever. It doesn't matter, but find a way to get a little more time with the people you love because in the end, um, having the time is one thing. Making the time is another. We've got to be able to to truly be intentional about our lives and intentional about our choices, um, also intentional about um, our interaction. We went on some hikes. We played a lot of tennis. And I sat and I thought, man, even just even just the drive to go get a drink with your kids gives you an opportunity to influence them. You can't influence people that you're not around. You I mean you can you can text them and influence them that way, but then do it. And I just found that I again I've I've been the biggest offender of this, where it's so easy for me myself to just ignore the promptings, ignore the ideas that uh, I need to go do something special or do something different with my family. But please, please, please find everybody. Let's all find a way to give a little more, bit more effort to the family and not even just it doesn't have to be expensive it doesn't have to be big vacations it could just simply being be more attentive uh make sure you spend a little time more time every day talking ask more questions listen more to what they're saying find out what each of your kids are going through um some of my kids would be gone for two or three days of our weekend of our week um away with friends having fun and I missed those kids. Why weren't they around? I wanted them to be around. And when they came around, I was more attentive to make sure that I could hear their stories and know what's going on with them. Not to make any of us feel guilty, but in the end, it matters. It truly does. And time is no longer an excuse because you have time now. You do. We we just don't use it. We don't make it a priority because, you know, we've got to finish our latest game or I've got to try my next thing or, you know, go check out my Facebook feed. Be careful because uh, this time with your family, you're not getting it back. You're never getting it back. So a little advice from the coach. Again, you don't have to take the advice. It's just it's just advice. Lessons learned from uh, from Dr. Matt on a family vacation. We'll continue the journey, folks, more straight ahead as we now uh, learn how to learn. This is the Matt Townsend Show. 
Have you ever wondered, you know, what are the keys to learning? How are you supposed to learn? What are the tricks of the trade? Well, Benedict Carey is a science reporter for The New York Times who focuses on brain and behavior. He writes about neuroscience, psychiatry, and neurology, as well as everyday psychology. He joined us on the show a few months ago to talk about his book, How We Learn, and the science behind it. And uh, we wanted to replay some of those interviews with you. I asked him back then, what were the surprising truths of how we learn? There are a whole lot of them. The science of learning and memory is about 100 years old, and... Uh, the weird thing is that th- those scientists haven't really talked to teachers much. So a lot of this stuff is just not known by teachers or parents. Um, some of it's known instinctually. <clears throat> but I'll give you a few examples. Yeah. <clears throat> one very simple one is that by breaking up study time, and this is advice your mom or your dad may have given you, you know, yeah. honey, don't do it all tonight. Split it up, do an hour tonight and an hour tomorrow. It's a very simple thing. turns out to be uh, a very valuable um, technique when you're trying to memorize information. In fact, it can double the amount that you recall a week later on a test. So just think about it for a second. You're not spending any more time. You know, you're doing the same amount of time. Uh-huh. You're not working any harder. So you've just split your time. It's all you've done. Um, so it's not about time and, double, and it's not about difficulty. Effect. Yeah. yeah. So that, that is one example, Matt. There are a whole lot of other ones. Um, now, is that... Is that this, this is funny. How long ago was that? Do you know when that research was created? About 100 years ago. <laughs> yeah, the, the founder of the field yeah. um, uh, is the one who found that, didn't know what to make of it. It took, took some time before uh, you know, later researchers figured out kind of what's happening. Um, but once you learn what's happening, it's <clears throat> kind of obvious on the one hand and not so obvious on the other. You really begin to see there's a whole bunch of things that, Essentially, we've taught we've been taught are not good for learning, mm-hmm. like distractions and breaking up study time and mixing up practice, practicing different things at once uh, that turn out to be very helpful. So, so that's the uh, that's the idea, um, and a lot of these things are being incorporated, sort of, or trying to, there are attempts to incorporate them into schools. But that's going to take a long time, and uh, it's a lot. Better just to learn them yourself. Yeah, I mean, Benedict, it's been a hundred years. Like right. this shouldn't. <laughs> this should be out by now, right? Isn't that amazing? This is incredible. Like, give us some more. Like you were saying, distractions. Because as a parent, you know, my mom did everything she could to eliminate all distractions, so I could sit in a room and listen to the, you know, the the humming of the light. <laughs> well, so there's a few things in there, Matt. Um, you know, we're told to find one study place and to eliminate all distractions. Both things are wrong. Uh, okay, uh, the uh, changing up your study location—just the location—helps you. Uh, it multiplies the cues you have to, you know, retain. Yeah, I'm sorry, store and later retain information. So, so kids who are restless, who are moving around, should be encouraged as long as they are, in fact, studying and not just. You know, on video games. Um, because well, that gives us more cues, you said. The cues meaning I have, I mean, I might have the smell of being under a peach tree or I might have the light or I mean, all these different things would re- help me retain the learning. Exactly. The, 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 the changing up locations for sure. So you move your books around, you know, you're in the kitchen, you're in your, your room, maybe you take it out on the porch, maybe you take it out to the local cafe. All those things um, work 
to kind of multiply and enrich the information you're storing, hmm. making it more available later on. That's the idea. Interesting. Uh, the other thing you mentioned was distractions. You know, this is a big deal now. Parents are worried about it because of the everyone's got a phone and we're all looking at it all the time. Um, distractions, of course, can be terrible if you're if you need continuous attention, like if you're sitting in a lecture or you're driving or something. But if you're trying to problem solve, <clears throat> and that goes for both you know math problems and and writing type of problems, you know, you can't figure out how to get yourself out of a sentence or into a next paragraph. Um, a, if you run out of ideas, then distraction is an effective way to increase the likelihood you can solve it. Hmm. And part of the reason is, <clears throat> well, by that, by distraction, I mean any number of things. You could jump on Instagram, you could call a friend, you could go for a walk. Uh, it's a matter of sort of loosening some of your fixed ideas that are blocking you. Um, and so, Distractions can be bad, of course, we all know that, um, but can be very effective learning uh, tools in certain contexts, like when you're stuck. That is so interesting. I mean, again, it's because it, almost you, you feel like you're doing it wrong. You, you may have felt like you were doing it wrong because I like a little music on. I like to to be able to get up and maybe walk around while I'm thinking about something, not just sitting there and doing it. And it might make sense that maybe naturally my body was figuring this out anyway. Right. I mean, that is the big picture, man, is that, uh, you know, humans have been around for some million years or so. And, you know, school, as we know it, studying and homework and all that, has only been around for a few thousand. So maybe it's, it, that's the big picture is the brain really learned to learn, human brain, in a whole variety of ways. And so if you feel restless, yes. I mean, that's part of the way the brain learned <clears throat> for all those years sort of foraging for food and shelter. Um, and uh, if you want to listen to music and change it up and all those things, it's, in a way it's like your body telling you this is, this is the way to do it. Hmm. It's only, it's, it's the biases about we think the best way to learn. Those biases come from, um, you know, school-based learning. Yeah. Yeah, like this. Yeah, isn't that interesting? And we really are going to spend our entire life learning and only a little bit of it in school. Yeah, and I think that uh, adults, again, instinctively get this. And so, you know, for example, if you have to learn something, um, you sort of <clears throat> become familiar with this yourself enough, I suspect, that, you know, you know, you have to take breaks, you have to kind of walk around, change it up. You are in charge of your own time, and you're able to do that now a little more right. than when you're a kid, of course, where, you know, everyone's making you sit still. <laughs> it's so <laughs> it's so true. What, uh, what, uh, what are there, any other surprising just issues or things you've discovered that you thought, wow, I never can, I can't even believe it? Yes, I mean, it's, it's, it's full of that, the science of learning and memory, it's called cognitive psychology, is, is full of this stuff. Um, one of them is to do with sleep. You know, we all kind of suspect that sleep is uh, connected to learning or it affects learning. That's true. It's considered a learning consolidator, kind of a filter, something that helps you <clears throat> decide what's important because so much stuff is coming into your head during the daytime and you're awake, right? So, right. So sleep access this kind of filter. What's cool about it is that sleep has a number of stages, and those stages appear to be specialized to consolidate specific types of information. Hmm. So when you're preparing for tests, for example, <clears throat> you can manage your sleep if you're going to you know, stay up late or get up early. You can manage it depending on what you've got to prepare for. So you do one thing, for example, if you're 
studying for a French test or, you know, something that's going to demand lots of memorization. And you would do another thing um, if you were preparing for a math test or, for example, recital, you know, something that requires motor memory. Uh-huh. So who knew, right, I mean, that you could actually use sleep science, learning sleep science, to better prepare for, you know, to yeah. sort of suit your preparation for what you're, you're Yeah, doing. and pick your, pick your yeah. time. Yeah, it might be better to stay up a little bit later or get up a little bit earlier. I mean, isn't that fascinating? No, it's, it's, it's just great stuff, and it's, um, and it's not hard. And no. I think personally my shtick on this is it should be taught directly to kids at a, you know, at a pretty young age. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, not, uh, it's not rocket science. <laughs> it is brain science, however. It is. And, it is. Uh, and it's the useful kind. It is brain science, and it is the useful kind. That, again, was Ben Carey, who is a science reporter for The New York Times, who focuses on the brain and behavior. He's also the author of the book, How We Learn and the Science Behind It. Man, it's uh, we're blowing up some of the myths about your learning. It's not so much about just spending hours and hours of cramming information into your brain. Now, apparently, it's more about how many ties you can create to the information you know, use different locations, get enough sleep. Great, great insight. And uh, especially when we live in a world where a lot of our kids feel like they don't they don't need to study because it's all right there on the phone. They can just look it up, Dad. They can, and they do, by the way, look it up. But uh, there, there is a great quote by Don Harold that says, the brighter you are, the more uh, you have to learn. The more uh, naturally you can learn and the more abilities you have, the more you need to learn. Also, I think with our kids, we need to be pushing them in another way, too, and actually all adults as well. Let's let's make sure that we're all continually trying to find new ways of learning. In your own life, in your own world, when was the last time you opened up a book just to learn? Not to be entertained, even, but just to learn something new or read a new site or listen to podcasts. For the first time on our vacation, um, we listened to podcasts as a family, and it's amazing the discussions and the insights that those uh, very podcasts create. So, man, we live in a great time to learn. And let's make sure we understand what the real rules are. You know, some of the things we used to teach our kids, just go in the quiet room and sit and learn. Uh, Not always the way it works, according to science. We'll continue the journey, folks. Thanks for being along with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're doing what we can to help make your life a lot better, to help you live longer and love stronger. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with, of course, Terry South and the new Becca Hurley. I don't know how much you weren't new because last week you were on the entire time I wasn't here. That's true. Yeah. Becca Hurley's her name. Fire. And uh, Jeffrey Liam Simpson is now on another uh, – he, he's been given another pursuit. They've moved him to another pasture at BYU Broadcasting. And I leave for one week, and the next thing I know, Jeff's just gone. I don't know what it is. Hmm. I mean, I, I, I guess I have to go listen to the audio from last week. 
I, uh, I I was told he's managing the office Nerf dart arsenal. Oh, okay. So he's kind yeah. of a quartermaster when it comes to our darts in the office. So. <laughs> Thank well, goodness, because it's so disorganized right now. That's probably not a great idea. <laughs> I have a feeling someone's going to lose an eye soon. But it's it's fun to have Becca with us. Becca has family from uh, that are professional clowns. That's right. They call her Teaspoon. Mm-hmm. That's her clown name. This is awesome. It really is. I've it's never so had fun. a clown. I mean, I've never had an actual clown wow. running I mean, the board. Jeff. Yeah, but he wasn't like card carrying clown. Right. Like you carry a card. I do. Yeah. And a pocket full of balloons. Mm-hmm. Always. Which is uh, handy. It's good to have you, Becca. So this is um, this is fun. By the way, we're today we're going to be talking about how to better manage your stress at work. Which I'm feeling so relaxed. I think I've just I've been I'm well slept. Mm. I got some sunlight for a week. It's nice. It does a body good. It's like milk. And uh, and I hadn't seen Terry for a while too. And he apparently still has his family. Yep. He went on a family trip. We went through the airport <clears throat> twice. Wow. It was great. So baby strollers and uh, car seats, all that kind of stuff too. With yeah, the that's kids, always so. fun. Adds an extra. We actually, uh, for about maybe a 10, 15 second period, we left my uh, one year old baby girl at the TSA. I just I, I pushed the cart aside so we could take off our shoes and deal yeah, with yeah. the carry ons and stuff. And then we start moving through security, and the guy goes, How many is in your party? And I went, Four. And he goes, One, two. And I turned around like, whoa, the baby. And like everyone laughs because I just realized that I left my child about five feet behind me. But she's right there just hanging she's out. She's fine. Yeah. What's the worst thing that could happen at fun. a TSA stop? Nothing. So everyone Nothing. just watched the child and then we, you know, oh, fiddled that's with all cute. that. Yeah, there you go. And everyone's happy. Lack of parenting skills on display. Yeah. But Well, the airport's a hard thing. Yeah. Sometimes you leave your belt. Us. My son was like, I had to take off my shoes. Let's do this. And he's trying to do that. Well, he's got Velcro. No, he's learning to tie his shoes, so that just makes everything 10 minutes longer. So, <laughs> That's what we call Speaking the airport. Speaking of my child, yes. my wife was going over some records. Yeah. You, you know, what? what's the first word your child says? You kind of maybe document that. Yeah. So you Mama, dad, dad. Yeah, what was this? You would think. Yeah. Not my child. What did he say? Because we're looking at my daughter. She's starting to try to yeah. say some words. We're trying to get she's her to- 12? Eh, she's 18 months. Okay. Like, come on. Get a word out there. She can. She's having conversations with herself, all the babbling yeah. and stuff, but she yeah. isn't trying too much. Uh, but my uh, my son, we start looking, and his first word, mm-hmm. he had two phrases. One was, uh-oh. No, no, no. It was, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He'd go, oh, yeah. And then he says, I'm Batman. Really? That was before mom or dad. Wow. That's crazy. Oh, yeah, and I'm Batman. Well, is he Batman? No, but he would say it like, I'm Batman. He'd say it just like that. And do you need any other phrases? I was well, like, yeah, I you think, do. Becca. I think I'm a good parent. You need, you need the phrase. How about the famous phrase that every little kid yells, I'm done, like when they're on the right, toilet. Exactly. I think I'm Batman sounds like even better. Yeah. I know, know, but then you wouldn't know to go get it. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. I think it's implied by the tone. <laughs> Apparently he said, I'm Batman before mom or dad. Wow. Yeah. How's he doing now? He's great. Is he Batman now? No. Okay. So that was useless. He wants to be Batman. Okay. We used to ask him, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he goes, Batman. And I went, all right. This is great. You need a little bit more you know, uh, investment income there. But Does yeah. he have a Batman cape? Um, Mask? 
uh, costume, which are actually like pajamas. Yeah. And a costume, Halloween costume. So, yes, a cape. Okay. He so has batarangs. That's the king. That's one, that's one of the reasons that I, I wanted Jeff on the team originally is because he's the only guy that's ever come in with a cape on. Yeah. For his interview. That it, it, is, it is a quality way to make a statement. Uh, let's get to the rest of the headlines, Terry. What else should we be paying attention to? President Trump on Sunday lashed out at Russian and Iran, uh, Russia and Iran for backing animal Assad. In a uh, Syria, in Syria, Assad is the president yeah. of Syria. Following a, he called him a ba- animal Assad. That's how he refers to the wow. president of that country. In Syria, following a suspected chemical attack that killed dozens of civilians, many dead, including women and children, in mindless chemical attack in Syria. Chemicals and caps. That's how it goes on Twitter. Uh, singling out Trump, singles out Iran and Russian President Putin for their support of Syrian President Bashar Assad. Uh, big price to pay, open area immediately for medical help and verification, President Trump goes on. Uh, Syrian activists and medical workers say at least 40 people were killed Saturday in the chemical attack in the town of Duma, or Doma, the last rebel stronghold in Ghouta. This is all Scary. in, I think, southern Syria. Yeah. Um, and by the way, if those videos were real, unbelievable. Right. I mean... Just people horrible. dead. And, yeah. I mean, you're, they're, they're trying to treat those people as they're dealing with a, a chemical attack of some kind. Overnight, a missile attack on a Syrian airbase killed at least 14. Syria initially said that we did it, the United States. The Pentagon says we're, we didn't launch anything. Oh, no, we take credit. Russia is blaming Israel, so we're still just kind of pointing fingers and blaming everyone. President Trump loves to watch fiery debates erupt, particularly on Fox News. It appears the White House Chief of Staff John Kelly is using the president's love for discourse to get his attention on a daily basis by reporting reportedly implementing a fun new game in the West Wing called Policy Time. So we have Executive Time, where the president gets on Twitter and doesn't have any appointments and just kind of putters around <laughs> watching you know, cable news. Yeah. And then he gets to work around 11. That was the story we got. 11 Eastern, he gets finally to the, his office and takes some meetings. But now, during the meetings, they have Policy Time. And policy, that's where they argue and debate policy? As part of his restructuring of Trump's White House in an effort to make it run more smoothly, the Washington Post reported on Saturday that Kelly has organized a daily event in which advisors spar on an issue in front of the president. This takes place sometimes twice a day, according to the report. Trump's aides debate particular subjects, uh, subject matter in their uh, different viewpoints in front of him, seeming to help him make up his own, his own mind on how to proceed in governing. Wow. They give him the pro and con yeah. debate. He likes the That's the fight. interesting, yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of people, like President Clinton used to just study policy, and President Obama, they, they kind of yeah. were policy wonks. They kind of read the reports. And, and he just he just kind of wants like a little, almost like a debate off, and, and then kind of a, pick Shakes- a, side. a Shakespearean approach. Yeah. A little play, a little I like acting. that. Yeah, that's what <laughs> I would do, too. Uh, I, I did read that there were multiple PowerPoint presentations to explain Amazon and the post office's relationship. Okay. And how Amazon pays the post office to ship its items, even though the president thinks that the post office is losing money for shipping Amazon's items. Items, but they're, Amazon's paying the price. So multiple that, powerpoints that just didn't get through to the president. Yeah, no, on how it's this better. Whole thing I think works. it's better to have a, a crew, mm-hmm. a cast. Okay, a troop, a, a, little, troop a troop, of a troop. Yeah, <laughs> the policy troopadors. Wow. Ahead of Mr. Mark Zuckerberg's trip to Washington, uh, Facebook has hired a team from the law firm Wilmer Hale 
Oh, boy. As well as outside consultants to coach him on question law, questions lawmakers may ask and how to place his answers and react if interrupted, according to people close to the uh, preparations who will speak only anonymously because you know, they were private yeah, sessions. Right. Facebook also has also set up mock hearings involving its communications team and outside advisors who role-play members of Congress. Internal staff has pushed Zuckerberg to answer lawmakers' questions directly and not to appear overly defensive. Their goal is to make Zuckerberg appear as humble, agreeable, and forthright. Yeah. Facebook Monday will begin alerting the 87 million users whose data may have been harvested by Cambridge Analytica. So keep watching Uh, Facebook. You might get a surprise. It's like the golden ticket. Yeah, but what could you do about it? Because what they're going to know is that you like these movies and these books and maybe you have a dog. Yeah. It's not like they have your credit card number. So it's almost like they're your neighbor. They actually get your credit card number from another data breach, but that's a different story. that's a different story. (laughs) Finally, um, this one made me, uh, I don't know, I kind of had more positive thoughts after this story. Oh, good. That's about time. It was, you know, so we'll go into the Wall Street Journal story. For years, the big brands tried to go healthy as the main strategy to win back consumers who had defected to Greek-style yogurt and protein bars for for breakfast. Talking talking big cereal companies. Yeah. Breakfast cereals. That didn't work. Overall, cereal sales in the U.S. have declined 11% over the past five years. Post recently brought back Oreo O's. Why? Because they taste good. They're just like (laughs) Oreos and milk. It's like having cookies for breakfast. General Mills revived its discontinued artificially colored and flavored Trix cereal last year after consumers complained about the dull look and different taste of the all-natural ingredients the company had used as substitutes. (laughs) Jeez. General Mills reported that sales, retail sales of its cereal rose 2% in the last quarter thanks to peanut butter chocolate cheery, or chocolate Cheerios and Lucky Charms Frosted Flakes. Really? Kellogg discontinued its lower sugar Frosted Flakes and came out with the chocolate and cinnamon varieties. After working for years to remove the synthetic dyes and Lucky Charms marshmallows, General Mills has abandoned that goal and instead recently came out with a new unicorn-shaped marshmallow. Oh, wow, really? So cereal went healthy. Yeah. And now they're like, wait, nobody wants healthy cereal. So they're revamping the sugar and artificial colors. Tricks are for adults. And then it says this is uh, Mentel is a consumer research firm. They have found that 43% of adults eat cereal as a snack at home. 43% do, huh? Yeah. They go buy a box of cereal and just so they can snack on it. Not that they have like milk and everything with it. They just grab it out of the box and eat it. Wow. See, I don't do that. I don't either. I like to just make it a morning thing if I ever do it. We, For some reason beyond me, my son has ended up with some Lucky Charms and some Captain Crunch, and I've eaten some of those. I'm like, these really taste gross. You mean Batman? Right, Batman. That's it. That's his secret identity. We have to, you Sorry. know. People aren't supposed to know about that. Can't tie that together. Oh, wow. So, yeah, cereal's back. Okay, right? good, good, good to know. And it's it's even healthier, but nobody likes it as much. No, they get rid of all the healthy. Yeah. It's full bore sugar now and full bore artificial well, color. Yeah, they started. Yeah, it was, they started healthy. Then it's they like try. it doesn't look right. If people want healthy, you can just cook like grape nuts or something. We'll try not to eat cereal. Right. Yeah. It's kind of the same as like baked lays. I don't know how those sell. No. Ooh. You know, if no. you're gonna go get chips, you should really get the get some chips. Get the chips. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. While you're at it. All right. Awesome. Good stuff. Thank you, Terry, for that. We're going to now take a break. And when we come back, we'll be talking about how to manage your anxiety at work, how to de-stress, you know, turn down the heat on your little boiler. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer and love stronger. 
The feeling of stress at work is like a pot on the stove that begins to boil. Everything is going okay until the water boils to high and everything starts flowing out, right? Overflowing, in fact. How can we better manage stress before we uh, reach our boiling point? Here to help us with that is Julian Humphreys. He is our uh, guest who's a leadership coach and um, and has spent a lot of time talking about this uh, the, the topic of anxiety, both with his clients and with organizations. He is the founder and editor-in-chief of Philosophy of Coaching, a biannual peer-reviewed open access academic journal serving the coaching community. And Julian, we're excited to have you here. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much for having me on. Talk about uh, this. You made a really interesting point in your article about the fact that um, once you start actually looking for anxiety at work, it's everywhere. You can see it in almost every aspect of, of work. Talk about that. Well, I do say that in, in that article. I say that it shows up for individuals uh, waking up at 4 a.m., uh, worrying about things that may may make sense and often don't make sense. It shows up on teams where anxiety about status and things like that means that people don't communicate as clearly as they could do. And it shows up in organizational structures where whole divisions or, or the ways that the organization is structured are uh, a result of certain anxieties that, that aren't getting resolved and aren't getting talked about. Do, do you think anxiety, is it is it increasing is it is it newer uh, in the in the organizational world corporate world in our work life or are we just paying more attention to it why is it becoming such a dominant theme well i distinguish between anxiety fear and stress and uh stress is the kind of what you mentioned at the beginning when you're in a situation like I am right now on the radio where I may be kind of nervous. I may be worried that I'm going to say the wrong thing. And so, you know, my hands are sweaty or whatever it may be. It's a very sort of in-the-moment thing. Fear is when I know what I have to do, uh, but I don't particularly want to do it. Uh, You know, so I know that I have to make a sales call, but I don't really want to do it. So I I procrastinate. And anxiety is a more deep felt uh, sort of almost existential angst where you don't even really know what, you should be doing to address the, the, the threat that you're experiencing. And that kind of anxiety is way, way, way more common in the workplace these days because we're at a time where really nobody knows what the future looks like. Mm. Change of, uh, is, is so fast-paced, and you know, we don't even know if we're going to be in work 10 years from now or whether artificial intelligence is going to put us all out of work. There's just so many uh, things going on that we're kind of paralyzed and uncertain. You know, people talk about volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity, VUCA. And that's the kind of thing that is incredibly anxiety-inducing when I talk about anxiety in in that latter sense. Um, In fact, plus it seems like with technology and more flex time, it seems like our work isn't just something we go do at our office. It's now something we carry with us 24-7. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we, we're, we can't turn it off. Our phones are buzzing at all hours of the day and night. And um, that in itself means that we don't get a break in the, in the same way that we used to. So as a, as a coach and um, somebody that is working with 
organizational leaders and just just leaders and managers and people, um, you suggest we figure out a way to make the anxiety work for us. What do, what do you mean by that? How do I take this nervousness or this anxiety and actually start turning it into something more valuable? So anxiety is kind of inevitable. I think if, if, if we experience no anxiety at all, we'd all be sitting on a mountaintop uh, meditating um, and, and not doing that much. So it's not that anxiety is bad. We have, uh, you know, it's inbuilt into us and we want to do various things as a result of, of certain anxieties. Um, the, the question is, are we uh, being anxious in a way that actually serves our long-term goals and purposes? Or are we being anxious where we're not really resolving any of, of the sort of bigger questions? We're just kind of acting out of anxiety in, in the moment. And uh, the, the, the way that I address that with the leaders is, is I open up a conversation about anxiety and I say, you know, uh, firstly, often leaders will come and they'll say, I need to do this, I need to do that, I have to do the other. And that's all coming from a very kind of anxious place. And so first I have to sort of create a context where they can relax enough so that we can actually have a broader conversation, not about what they need to do or what they should do, but what they really want to do and what's really going to you know, allow them to grow into the person that they want to be uh, as they proceed in their career. So it's, it's managing that kind of anxiety, that very um, what we call sort of saboteur-driven anxiety and turning it into a, a more of a conversation about anxiety and about values and about uh, what they vision, what they, what they really want to achieve, uh, and then orienting their anxiety to support uh, that vision. Is it, and do you see with your clients that, I mean, th- this is something that can be controlled. We can we can do more and more to actually identify the type of anxiety we have, and then operate, you know, and more aligned to it to uni- utilize it more effectively. But th- there is hope, right? A lot of times, people with anxiety would rather just kind of run away. It seems like, or or avoid it. But it seems like avoiding it only makes it worse. Well, that is unfortunately the case. Uh, there, was a, there was a meme floating around uh, on, on, on Facebook last week, uh, which had this big iceberg. And at the top of the iceberg, uh, above the water was anger. And below the iceberg were all these other things, all these other emotions that, that in general don't tend to get spoken about. So on the surface, you have anger and frustration. And underneath, you have, among other things, anxiety and fear. And often we only talk about the anger and the frustration and we deal with the anger and frustration as if it's the real cause of the problem. And uh, I, if you start talking about those deeper emotions, and often they're, they're less empowering emotions, there's something very powerful about anger and frustration that makes you feel strong, makes you feel powerful. When you start talking about fear and insecurity and anxiety, it's in a way a much more vulnerable place to be in, and so people would rather not go there. But unless you're willing to go there and talk about those kinds of things, then you never really get to the heart of the problem, and so you 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 just create the same kind of problems over and over again. Hmm. So true. And um, again, it's it's like it, it it can start to consume your very approach to everything you do. It, it it manages how you think about the problem, how you see the problem, boy. And then if you're not performing, if you're not getting the results you need, you can see how depression would eventually follow as well, and it just becomes an ugly cycle. Right. And then people deal with the depression uh, as a, a symptom rather than a cause. And so, you know, they drink, attempt to drink their way out of it or they, uh, you know, try and tackle it directly. Whereas in, in, in my point of view, I mean, 
obviously, if you're suffering from very clinical depression, I'm, I'm speaking for the most part within the realm of, you know, healthy, functional folks. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I'm not an expert on, on serious um, uh, mental illness or anything like that. Uh, but, you know, if, if, you, if you just try and deal with the, the symptom rather than the, than the cause, it's, it's never going to uh, get you the results you're looking for. Talk about the differences that you, uh, you break anxiety into many forms, and they're all pretty common. What, what are the forms of anxiety, how, and how do they approach? Um, and, so like, and what would we see? I mean, I know one of them is performance, and that would probably manifest a different way than maybe just other, other types of anxiety. Walk us through that. Yeah, so uh, performance anxiety is, in a way, a fairly straightforward one compared to some of the, 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 the less common ones. So performance anxiety, you know, if you have to get up, go, get up and do a big presentation, uh, there's a lot of fear that comes up, a lot of sense of, you know, who do I want to be in this presentation? Am I at risk of being laughed at or anything like that? Um, and what do I even want to say? You know, it, it took me a long time to even sort of figure out that anxiety was at the heart of much of what I was seeing in the workplace. And until then, I had a sort of anxiety about what I would even say when you know, given an opportunity to speak uh, like I am now. So performance anxiety is, uh, I was a musician for a long time. I used to get all sorts of anxiety before I got on stage and, 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 and performed in front of people. So that's in a way quite a, a, a common one and one that I think there's a lot of support for. Uh, the less common ones are uh, existential anxiety and death anxiety. Nobody really wants to talk about these things. But uh, if you start thinking about death anxiety and you know the way that people think about death and approach death and uh, the reluctance to talk about death, you have to start wondering what's really going on there. And there's a lot of, uh, uh, there's a psychotherapist called Irving Yalom who spent his whole career really talking to people about death anxiety. And he sees it as, you know, the core, you know, ground of our being is that we have certain anxieties about death. And only by staring death down and, and really figuring out um, uh, how we feel about death can we start living uh, the life that we really want to, to be living. And and death anxiety at work is that like if I'm losing my job, I would just start to obsess and kind of go worst case scenario, or if I I might assume I'm going to lose my job because of something I did, and then think like your example, I'm going to live under a bridge. Yeah. So uh, I mean, all these anxieties are operating just like you know technology is 24 hours a day really in our sleep when we're awake. Uh, how they show up at work is. Uh, in part, the way that work is configured allows certain anxieties to be uh, embedded within the, the, the social system that, that exists at work. But let's say you're told out of nowhere that you're being let go for whatever reason. Firstly, there's a kind of survival anxiety that kicks in where, you know, how am I going to pay the bills? And then there's a kind of existential anxiety that kicks in of like, who am I now if I have to go back to my uh, spouse and, and, you know, admit that I'm not the man that she thought I was. You know, there's, there's, there's stories of people who don't tell their spouse for like weeks or months after they've been let go because they're so ashamed. Yeah. Uh, so, and that's, you know, a sort of existential anxiety doing its thing because you just don't know who you are if you're not this person that you thought you were as defined by your work. Um, but the death anxiety really kicks in when, when you start thinking uh, about, um, you know, uh, how does my life look now and how does my death look now uh, that I have uh, no clear future? And I think there's all sorts of catastrophic thinking that can enter into that space where you imagine that, you know, uh, without this status and without this income, 
you're on a surefire path to to death and destruction. Mm. So true. As a coach, um, and you can see how if if you spend some time identifying uh, who you are, your identity, you know what's important to you, and then focusing your activities on that, that that would strengthen your your you know you know your existential crisis if you lost a job or had to you know change jobs. Um, give us is there an activity we could do today that might help us understand better our purpose, our mission, our place in life. And something we could be working on to to mitigate or minimize the existential crisis. Well, let me let me tell you a little bit about how I came to see uh, anxiety operating in my own life. Um, uh, five years ago, uh, I was uh, teaching in universities, and I was uh, wanting to do more one-on-one work with leaders and organizations. And so I started getting into that work, and, and at the same time, I started meditating every day. It was just something that I thought would be good for me. And so, you know, every morning for 30 minutes, I sit and I focus on my breath. Uh, and there's a meditation technique uh, that I don't know if you've ever meditated, but, but yeah. basically you focus on your breath and your mind for sure is going to wonder. Uh, and when it wonders, you bring it back to the breath. And there's a medita- meditation technique that says when your mind wonders, before you bring it back to your breath, you name the kind of wondering that mm. your mind has engaged in. So you say, uh, you know, uh, fantasizing or um, uh, you know, uh, thinking about cooking or whatever it may be. Uh, in my case, pretty much every time I named the kind of wondering that my mind had engaged in, it was worrying, hmm. worrying about this, worrying about this, worrying about the other. And I didn't think of myself as a particularly anxious person. You know, I bite my nails still, but, you know, it's not like I'm a kind of wreck uh, worrying about everything in my daily life. Uh, and so then I started talking to other people. I started reading about it. And worrying is, you know, at the heart of most people's mental activity, worrying in some form or other. So uh, one of the things that I can recommend, but it's something that most people are reluctant to do, is to calm your mind through meditation or some other calming technique so that you become aware of, firstly, the extent to which you worry. And, you know, not everyone worries to the same extent. Uh, yeah. I have two children. One of them's a bit of a warrior. The other one isn't. It's just kind of how they, they, they came out. But a lot of people worry much more than they think they worry. So if you can calm your mind enough to uh, clue into your uh, anxieties, then you can actually start working with them productively. It's when you kind of act from your anxieties rather than being able to externalize them and take a look at them and actually see them for what they are and start managing them so that they can, uh, like, like I said at the beginning, align with your long-term goals, uh, that can be really helpful. So, so meditating or journaling or even exercise or any kind of activity that allows you to really clue in to yourself, yoga, anything like that. Mm. It really is uh, this powerful work we could be doing on ourselves. As we wrap it up, Julian, what would you say is um, – I always ask for kind of the one thing that would make the biggest difference – it's something we could do today, and maybe you've already mentioned it, but is there is there one thing that we should be looking at to to manage better our anxiety at work? I think the more you can be aware that the problems that you're experiencing at work, either interpersonal problems or productivity problems, procrastination, time management, all those kinds of things, the more you can ask yourself, uh, what might be the underlying anxiety here? that is preventing me moving forward in the way that I would like to move forward on this particular challenge, the more likely it is that you're going to isolate 
what that underlying anxiety is. In other words, if you can start a conversation with yourself or ideally with others about anxiety so that you externalize it and actually put it on the table as something that you can look at by yourself or with others, I think that alone can ha- have, a, have a significant impact on, on your, your self-awareness and, and how, you, uh, how you behave ultimately, because now you're not behaving from this place of anxiety, but you're behaving uh, with a recognition of the anxieties that are, are showing up for you and driving you. Oh, so powerful, so true, and and the power we all have to help heal each other. Uh, Julianne Humphreys, thank you so much for your time, your your uh, your willingness to help teach us uh, how to take this to another level in our own lives. Again, Julian, can you can find out more about him on his website, julianhumphreys.com, julianhumphreys.com, where he can uh, give you more insight in how to develop a leadership capability to, to really be- better manage your own anxieties and your own worries um, and fears. Awesome stuff, folks. We will continue the journey, do a little Coach's Corner straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. you boy you too stupid to do what your coach tells you because life doesn't come with a handbook you need a coach here's dr matt and his coaching corner welcome back you know uh anxiety is going up we talk about it on the show quite a bit now and i think there's just so many reasons why right technology um plus how much we've enabled our children as as parents, you know, we never wanted them to feel the pain that we may have felt. So we did everything we could as a parent to to keep the pain out of their lives. And in so doing, we may have created little monsters that think that life is about not having pain. But uh, as Julian was teaching us, there really – there is some power, incredible power in you becoming more and more aware of your own uh, your own psyche, your own head, how your thoughts work. Um, so I wanted to take a minute and talk about our thinking. Uh, a lot of people, um, we, we don't even notice a lot of our thoughts. Some estimate that 90 to 95 percent of our own thoughts are subconscious. Not even We're not even consciously thinking them, right, until we, we sit down and start paying attention to what we're feeling, to what we're sensing, to what we're doing. And by just maybe meditating a little bit more, taking some time to ponder and to think about life and, and then and then naming it, then the thought doesn't have to just continue without any evaluation. We we might be perpetuating certain thoughts in our lives that that really have no use except just to keep holding us down. And for some reason our subconscious may think that's a good idea to just keep you from risking, to keep you from trying something new. And so thoughts perpetuate that ah, you're not good at this. You'll never be good at this. You'll never remarry. You'll never whatever the issue may be. So I wanted to give you a few tools um, to take on some of the thoughts and, and that may be impacting you. One thought, if you've ever spent a lot of time just stressing about things, um, sometimes our thoughts are used to organize us. And we might have a thought or a prompting that comes across our mind that is really there to make sure we don't forget an appointment, that we schedule something, that we get it down. And I'm a big believer that thoughts are going to stay in your head and in your heart and in your mind until you do something about those thoughts. So with each one of these examples I give, there are ways to handle the organizing thought. When you think, I really need to get going on my homework, I need to get doing that, then then act on it. Start writing it down. Put it on the schedule. Make a list. 
get out and and actually do something. Pull out your phone and start making your to-do list. And by simply putting it on the to-do list, your brain can then let go of the thought and it doesn't have to keep recirculating that thought. But if you keep having the thought, I need to, I really need to work on that act thing. I need to work on it. I need to work on it. The fastest way to get rid of that thought is to go do something on the thought. Okay, so organize the thoughts by acting on them, scheduling them, writing them down, putting them on a to-do list. Some thoughts, though, aren't thoughts about scheduling. They're thoughts about connection, thoughts that connect us. And so what you might want to do with those thoughts are go share them. Those might be a thought, I really need to call so-and-so, you know, an old friend. And what you might want to do is find a way to go connect to that person really fast. You might text them, call them. Do whatever you can, but if you want to eliminate the thought, then act on it again by sharing it. Some of our thoughts are, might just be, and I saw this over the weekend with my kids, is share some thoughts that I've had um, about one of my kids. I felt prompted to tell him what I thought he'd be really good at when he when he went to college and what he should be studying because I think he'd be really excellent at this. And so I just connect with him on a walk and we talk about it and boom. Or tell them how proud of you, how proud of them you are about other things. If you're having the thought, getting that prompting, share the thought with the people and see if it doesn't connect us. Some thoughts, though, just block us, right? And there are ways I found to kind of dump the thoughts that get in the way, the thoughts that keep us down. One of my favorite ways to do it is, again, I believe you need to act on your thoughts if you want to eliminate them or get rid of them. And one of them is just writing. I call it data dumping. And I just suggest you write nonstop and get all your feelings, even if they're negative feelings. I wouldn't necessarily write these in your journal so all your kids down the road can see (laughs) your dark side. But you could just dump it on a piece of paper. And I suggest you write one line. Of whatever, whatever you're feeling and thinking, oh, that person drives me crazy, oh, they're so mean or whatever, don't try to edit yourself. Just get those thoughts out. Then what I like to do is write the second line right on top of the first line. So when I write it, the second line on top of the first line, then I don't have to be perfect in it. I don't have to like – you know, all the grammar doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to look perfect. And then I write the third line on top of the first and the second line. So by the time I've written my third line, you can't read the line. But all of the energy is out of me. The thoughts are out of me, but it hasn't taken a form that anyone can read. It's not legible. So I feel free to dump my thinking, my stinking thinking, I call it, so that it, it's now in a place. And then when I'm done writing, and I write till I'm exhausted. That's how I get bad thoughts out of my head, bad ideas out of my head, people that frustrate me. That's how I get them out of me. Then I can just crumple up the paper and I throw the paper away and it's gone. And then the last kind of thought we can deal with are the thoughts that inspire us. I would journal those. I would get those in some book of uh, you know of your memories just so that you can keep those inspiring thoughts alive. And I always try to keep a, a journal or a book around me where I can write down my favorite quotes, write down my biggest lessons, and it's with me pretty much everywhere I go. And I it changes me. I think it, it helps me be a better person and it, it makes me realize that my life is meant to be written down. And it's not always that great, quite honestly, but it is that important that uh, I, I imagine that there will be a day that after I've died that my kids or grandkids are going to be fighting for these journals. And they're not they're not like perfectly, you know, they're not journals. Dear Diary, I confronted my biggest enemy today. No, it's just like, hey, 
I thought this today. I thought that was pretty funny. Boink. Sometimes they're dated. Sometimes they're not. But um, they're my thoughts and uh, they matter. They matter to me. And I think eventually they'll matter to others. It's where I get my ideas for books and content is just anything I've documented. And that's getting harder with technology because now I don't know, should I put it in a book or should I put it in my technology? Technology is always with me, but the book isn't. But I like the book writing more. So, so I'm still trying to work that one out. As soon as I come up with a good answer for that, I will give it to you. Anyway, that's The Coach's Corner. Just simple ways to manage your thoughts, uh, the thoughts that inspire you, the thoughts that block you, the thoughts that connect you, and the thoughts that uh, organize you. Take it or leave it. You know, All I can do is offer it up, give you some ideas of what I'm learning in life. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping us all manage our thoughts. Welcome back, folks. You know, uh, as we do what we can to give you a leg up in life, what better way to do it than to learn how you learn? Benedict Carey is a science reporter for The New York Times who focuses on the brain and behavior, and he writes about neuroscience, psychiatry, and neurology, as well as everyday psychology. He joined us on the show a few months ago uh, to talk about his book, how we learn and the science behind it. We began talking about how parents could read this book and take that info straight to their families. Absolutely. I mean, parents are really the ideal audience for this. Um, and I think you, and you hit on something there. I mean, we were never taught how to learn. No one, no one ever yeah. teaches us that. We just, we're just given lectures about what's right and wrong in terms of learning. You know, get yourself to your room and open the books and, you know, put your head in kind of thing. Um, and that's not helpful. And, you know, in the end, uh, and I think, I think a lot of us, I'll speak for myself, longed for some mentoring Mm-hmm. Um, to be a student, and never got it. You just never get it. You're kind of on your own in a way, and and so I think for anyone, parents and kids for sure, um, it's a nice to know what the science says about learning. I mean, you, at least you can, can be your own mentor a little bit, um, and so that's the idea with this book. Do you, do you sense any difference with this new age where, you know, it's so technologically driven, we are so app-driven, and you know maybe the attention span of our our each of us is shrinking um what what do you sense is going to happen with how we learn in the next you know couple of generations i tend to think Matt, that the uh, the innovations in the technology are uh, can be indeed exploited to to sort of deepen learning that mm. is that they can be extremely helpful now we talked about this a little bit in the first break um if you're constantly distracted when you need to pay attention, it's not, yeah. not going to work for you, okay? Um, but here's what I think uh, about the sort of technolo- technological change. You know, you have on your phone now all sorts of capabilities, video, audio, little short movies, things that your friends send, pictures, photos, podcasts, books, all that stuff is available in your pocket. Um, and really... We all learn in a whole variety of ways, and I think that the technology is allowing people to do just that. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example from the newspaper. I mean, we're, I work with the New York Times. I'm a science writer there. And, of course, traditionally that's been old media. We, you know, we write stories. We, we print them uh, on the page. Of course, we've had to sort of change everything and try to innovate 
uh, at the paper. And one of the things that's being done <clears throat> effectively is to present stories uh, not as simply printed texts or even printed texts with photos, but texts, photos, podcasts, slideshows, mm. videos. Yeah. So you need to have about half a dozen different ways for people to receive the information, and as we discussed before, changing the way that you approach a particular kind of information, mixing it up, is good. It's helpful. It multiplies the ways you sort of uh, are absorbing the information. <clears throat> That's so, so true. Videos, good to see the podcast, etc. And, and I guess that makes it so. Then, if you incorporate all the other lessons about breaking up the time, how we how we bring it into us. And um, and kind of mixed. It's almost a mixed methods approach, man. You actually might be able to leverage it even even deeper. Yeah, I think you'll be able to leverage this. Uh, look, we're all somewhat highly distractible. That was the truth. That was the case well before uh, all of the social media sort of swept the you know mm-hmm. swept the world. Um, we distracted ourselves continuously. I'll speak for myself. I certainly did so. Uh, well before the iPhones and so on. Um, <clears throat> but you're right. I think that uh, if, and this will happen, um, the, you know, smart, smarter people than I will put together the science, which is independent of technology, by the way. All the scientific things that I write about in that book is things you can apply yourself. You don't need any fancy computer stuff. But they'll put together that with computer applications, right, that, right. that basically are built on the, you know, the foundation of the science itself. So, uh, and those, some of those I'm, I, you know, will be excellent. Mo- a lot of them will be bad. I'm not going to... Uh, right. Record, you know, how it's it is. Not, everything's not but, perfect, yeah. Right, everything's not perfect, and a lot of the stuff will be junk, but, but there'll be some good stuff that will come out of that. And, um, you know, uh, yeah, you have a whole bunch of different ways you can learn through your phone, and I think that to the extent that that's built on you know, the science of learning, the cognitive psychology of learning can be very effective. What do you suggest as we as we kind of um, think about this, like sitting down with our kids? How do you how do you envision that happening? Do you, like, what do you do to to do that? Do you just sit down and start teaching them ideas or, or how do you suggest we as parents teach our children to learn? You it depends on the kid's age. But the you know this is the book that I've written is not long. I just sort of I'll read it pretty quickly. Uh, it'll give you a handful of techniques, about ten of them, um, and and a big idea about how they work together and so on, um, and how they're applicable. Now, depending on the kid's age, you can um, at some point you can teach them directly. But before then, I would say that's about middle school. Before then. Oh, you can do all sorts of stuff that makes studying a lot more fun and more effective. And I'll give you one example. Yeah. Um, well, we've already talked about switching locations. I mean, if you've had, you know, I've kids, uh, <laughs> they're grown now, but, um, you know, they hated doing homework and they hated sitting still. They're very restless. So you can use that in your favor. So you can move them around. In other words, you don't have to be yelling at them to get back <laughs> in the room. And get in your room. Around as That's long it. as they continue to work. Right, that's already more fun than yeah. <laughs> standard homework, um, and it's a better way to deepen the actual memory. Now, you can also have kids, depending on their age, play teacher, hmm. which is a great way. It's a, the actual technique is called self-testing or self-examination because you're having to draw on your knowledge and teach it to someone else. Now, kids of a certain age love playing teacher. Um, I mean, you can't, you know, 
that that they love doing that, and that's a way of <clears throat> really deepening yeah. the study experience. And it's you know it's a ton more fun than again just having to strap into a chair. So uh, that's those are two examples. You bet. Uh, the point is you can you can basically adapt these techniques to. Uh, you know, whatever your kid's doing. <laughs> and I've seen like it. Do. I mean, a great thing today is let your kids, as they get older and turn into teens, let them teach you about technology. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because yes, yes. that's where a lot of us are behind anyway. And, and man, what a powerful way. When you put them in that role as teacher, then you can have them even start teaching the other kids just, you know, math or whatever stuff they've got to learn. We got about 30 seconds, Ben. And so just teach us, I mean, what's the one thing that we all ought to remember when it comes to our learning, our our growth? Um, what's the key? There's a couple of these keys. Take, take the pressure off yourself to try to live up to some ideal of how to study because there is none. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and the other one is, <clears throat> you know, no one ever got learning a 101 in the class, but it's there. It exists. And it allows you, most of all, it's the best part, to be tactical about your study. You don't have to pray that you're doing it right or wonder if you're doing it right. You can build techniques so you know you're doing it right. Mm-hmm. So those are the two big things. That's great. Relax. And relax. relax and, 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 and have tactics. Yeah, learn. And, and, and learn how you learn and then build tactics around it. Exactly. It seems, yeah. it seems like easy learning. <laughs> it's never going to be easy. It never is, it is it? easier. So true. Uh, Benedict Carey, again, is a science reporter for The New York Times who focuses on the brain and behavior, and he's written the book How We Learn and the Science Behind It. It's not easy, is it, to, to get our kids to, to learn and to, to feel like um, they, they understand it. But remember, think about yourself first. Did, do you, did you have a clue about how you operate? That's why uh, I always talk about how the, the, this show is like the, it's the user's manual because none of us got a user's manual about how to be a human being. But uh, we could make our, our job, our kids' lives a lot easier if we could just start giving them a few clues about what works best for them. There may not be one way to do everything, but there are a lot of little things we could be teaching our kids along the way. And how to learn might be one of the first things we want to focus on. Anyway, again, more insight uh, on the show, doing what we can to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. This is The Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with Terry South, South and, of course, Becca Hurley, the new uh, the new member of the Matt Townsend Show. Becca, welcome. Thanks. Now, uh, Jeff... For those Jeff uh, Liam Simpson fans, Jeff has been taken off of the Matt Townsend show and put on another show. He's got a lot of other stuff he's lining up and getting ready, and we will miss him dearly. We love Jeff, but we we will still see him. So it's not like we're losing him, and you're going to still hear from him. In fact, I think uh, over the next few months, you'll hear from him in a lot of different ways. Possibly, yes. Plus, just watch the news. 
There's always that. You never know when Jeff will make the news. But uh, we do miss Jeffrey Liam Simpson. But it's fun to have Becca here because Becca brings a lot of uh, funny humor and patience. Oh, thanks. Uh, it's really great to be here. I love it. But we'll miss Jeff for sure. She's also known as Teaspoon in the clown world. This is true. Raised by clowns, lived in a crown village, <laughs> and drove a crown vic. Is that that something oh, like that's that? That's a yeah. clown vic. Oh, right, yeah. right, yeah. yeah. Really small car. Tiny. The whole family fits in it. Yeah. <laughs> Plus all the aunts and uncles. Exactly. It's yeah. really fun to watch your family show up at a family reunion. Oh, it's awesome. The, the miracles that we can get our shoes in there. And we are going to talk a lot about clowns, I think, over the next few months because, honestly, it's a dying art. Yeah. Did you hear about the circus? Yes. Yeah, so sad. They're, it's not good. And so but your family, they're still out there repping the clown world. We are. Okay. And I love it because I think live entertainment, especially for kids, Yeah, that's – there's and, not a lot of that out but there. But it also has helped you because you're also on a program here in U- in uh, at BYU called Divine Comedy. Mm-hmm. You're on a team where you do comedy improv. See, so it's helped you. Definitely. That's I cool. wouldn't trade it. It's wonderful. It's good. Plus, now you're on our show, which we'll see where <laughs> that gets you. <sighs> not so good always. Hey, but let's get to the headlines. Terry, what else should we be paying attention to today? Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. Conceded trade war with China as possible in an appearance on CBS Sunday yesterday, but downplayed its probable effects on the American economy. He goes, our expectation is that we don't think there will be a trade war. Our objective is to continue to have a discussion with China. We want to have free and fair reciprocal trade. But whatever happens in trade, he continued, I don't expect it to have a meaningful impact on our economy. Okay. So not not a trade war per se. No. But they want reciprocity. They want fairness. Now, the approach is different because normally you would approach a country with negotiations. You would say, hey, yeah. we don't like this. Can we talk about it? And you negotiate. Trump's approach is we'll just throw tariffs at them until they negotiate. Right. But the Chinese are looking at this confused because you're supposed to negotiate, not just raise the tariffs or threaten to raise the tariffs. Well, and they, it seems like they they handled it well That where they just – Added their own tariffs, though, yeah. to all the Midwest farmers, yeah. sadly, that are going to have to vote for Trump. They they have some uh, political consultants telling them who voted for Trump, so they went after those people. That, Soybean farmers, that kind of thing. By the way, very politically astute. Right. Maybe not good for farmers. So now President Trump's coming out saying, now we got to protect the farmers. Well, he's also saying China's uh, reciprocal tariffs. Uh, tariffs were unfair they did it unfairly yeah right You're like, okay well, yeah they did the same thing you did they yeah. said they'll match and well, so but they've it, been matching it, but back it was and different forth. in unfairness is that what it is yeah. okay so we'll see well yeah we'll see they don't think it'll affect the economy but yeah we could get into a trade war okay at well, what point i want to know when is it a trade war it seems very warish right now well you'll know when they drop the trade bomb is that what it is yeah okay 42 people injured too seriously after a bus ran into an overpass shearing off the top of the vehicle late Sunday night in uh, on New York's Long Island. Oh, no The way. accident happened on the Southern State Parkway when a bus filled of students and chaperones were traveling eastbound from JFK International Airport, as well as uh, the two people seriously injured. Five others are reported to have moderate injuries. Local ABC outlets reported that 38 students, five chaperones, and one driver were on board and that the students had just returned from a European trip. Mm. Police say the driver appeared to be unaware that the bus was too tall to clear the overpass. Well, how does a bus not clear an overpass? Not sure. 
that it wasn't a double decker bus. No, that's why I a, never go on a double decker bus. It's just unless a bus you're in London. And if you're a bus driver, you'd you'd hope you know the height of your bus. Right, but wow. would you? Because it's a bus and overpasses. It's just a normal thing. You'd it's not like you have things, a. The buses would fit. But us. they have those signs. Well, they are, but they're more for like semi trucks that are hauling big loads of, of material. Or if you're holding, if you're carrying a bunch of giraffes, right? You need to know that. Or balloons. Yeah, I mean, we get it. You know, <laughs> yeah, we get. Oh, it. that's. Scary. So scary. Consumer privacy experts allege that Google, through its YouTube division, is gathering data on children in ways that violates privacy laws. YouTube's legal collection has illegal collection has been going on for many years and involved tens of millions of U.S. children. The complaint alleges the company has made substantial profits from the collection and use of personal data from children on YouTube. The Campaign for a Commercial-Free Childhood, the Center for Digital Democracy, and 18 other privacy and consumer protection groups are set to file a complaint with the Federal Trade Commission today asking it to crack down on YouTube's data collection practices for kids. The group is saying that Google is violating a 20-year-old rule known as the Children's Online Privacy Protection Rule, or COPA. Requiring websites to either not collect data on children under 13 or collect it only after getting permission from a child's parent. Now, it seems like everybody's turning now on the big tech firms. Right. Before, everyone was carrying their water, Mm -hmm. and Google could kind of do no wrong in the U.S. I mean, other countries were were weirded out by all this. But we loved them. Facebook we loved. Mm-hmm. Amazon. Now everyone's kind of turning on them. Well, it's okay when they sell us something, apparently. But when it's involved in politics, people get really it's ever since off. It's ever since Jeff Bezos made become the, became the richest person on, in the world. The European Union is passing some laws here pretty soon requiring all social media companies to uh, meet certain requirements when it comes to privacy. Yeah. And that is affecting a lot of these these policies also because they're just going to adjust it for everybody, yeah. not just the European Union, but everybody. Mm. And so we'll see a lot of uh, updates when it comes to your security online. Earthquakes are rattling parts of northwest Oklahoma, where more than a dozen tremblers have struck since Friday. The U.S. Geological Survey recorded an earthquake of preliminary magnitude of 4.3 this morning, nearly an hour after a magnitude 3.3 quake struck near the area of Covington, Oklahoma, 55 miles south of Oklahoma City. Oh, boy. Officials say there's no report of injury or severe damage from any of the quakes, which have ranged in magnitude from 2.4 to 4.6. This would be a swarm. Yeah. Usually a swarm isn't over the weekend. It's more of a weekly month, you know, over several weeks. This Mm -hmm. is... You know, they, they do a lot of fracking in the area. Yeah. Well, who doesn't? There was a time where Oklahoma didn't officially acknowledge fracking as, and the earthquakes are being tied together. Now, yeah. Now I think they're like, all right, fine. <laughs> that Anyway, I had so, a comment that we'll I'm see how that goes. Back Finally, this story made me laugh. The father of a teenage girl who demanded Wi-Fi access at bedtime says her family would have perished in a house fire if she hadn't taken no for an answer. What? French expat David Durant was tucked up in bed with his wife, Sandra, at 11.30 p.m. on Tuesday in their Northern Ireland home. So they're French, but they live in Ireland. That's yeah, totally makes sense. Um, he, the, the man had gone to bed early in preparation for returning to work after a skiing holiday, but his daughter, Alexandra, woke her dad up, asking him to go and explore why her internet connection had been lost. Uh-oh. He was absolutely, he says, I was absolutely knackered. I'm not sure what that means. And only opened one eye to tell her to wait until morning, but she was quite persistent. 
I'm so glad I got up because all three of us would have died. After going downstairs, Patrick became concerned by a light burning smell. The more I looked around, I could start to see thin smoke. It was coming through the walls where the cables run to the garage. Oh, no. Uh, I thought something had overheated and tripped the plug sockets. When the engineer opened the garage door in his search for a screwdriver, he was confronted with flames and thick black smoke from his five-month-old tumbler dryer. Oh, it had boy. been on standby since he was, it was used at 5 p.m. So it never actually got turned off all the way. Yeah. I couldn't see anything except the flames, so my wife called uh, 91999. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Ireland. Uh, The burning plastic from the tumbler dryer was dripping under the washing machine below. In the end, I ran to get the fire extinguisher, which I always keep in the car. As soon as the flames went out, it was pitch black, and I was suffocating on a lot of smoke. Fire ambulance crews arrived in a short time later, treated the father of three for smoke inhalation. Wow. All because the daughter wanted Wi-Fi. So this These might have been nowadays. this might have been a hero story, except the daughter wanted Wi-Fi. Yeah. I'm like, that's not really it's not hero worthy. Oh, and boy, ruined your tumbler yep. dryer. And which, he, was, he was knackered. Yeah, I'm not sure what knackered means. Well, I but... think Becca was knackered the other day too. Really? Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. I wasn't even here. Because but... I was driving this bus under an overpass. That's yeah. <laughs> that's enough worst. to knack. Yep. That uh, that shows you right there though that you got to communicate better with your kids because mm-hmm. otherwise they'll just create mayhem. Right. Or with, or not. They'll just want Wi-Fi and yeah. disturb you. Uh-huh. I just then... think it's really interesting. You uh-huh. know, if she couldn't she couldn't reach Tumblr. And turns out their tumbler really was down. It was on fire in the garage. That's right. Wow. There's a tie it all together right there. And luckily, Dad was an engineer because yeah. he had the nose to smell something burning. I think you would. Anyone would smell something burning. I don't you know. You think it's special no, training I from don't an engineer? Know. I was with my five boys this weekend, and you know they couldn't smell a lot of things. He was going for a screwdriver though, so yeah. maybe just because he thought he could fix it. Because yeah. he was an engineer, totally. and that's why he found the He fire. knows. He could hear it. He can hear it. Good stuff. Um, again, doing what we can to, to give you the little insights. Get your kids Wi-Fi, for heaven's sakes. It'll save, it'll save you from a fire. Or don't get it, and then let them get you up you know, early or late. Hey, up straight ahead, Karen Mangum will be joining us. We're going to be talking about the principles of intuitive eating, how to get back to where your body can tell you how to eat instead of all the supposed experts. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer. Yes, folks, it's that time uh, to uh, bring on one of our great contributors. Karen Mangum joins us. She is a licensed registered dietitian, a seasoned recipe developer, a food blogger, and a nutrition consultant. Also happens to be the mother of a, one, a, a bunch of wonderful kids. One of the, her uh, little, uh, you know, beautiful children is the Tanner Mangum, um, who's, I hear, uh, healing incredibly well, Karen. Is that, uh, is that the case? Excuse me. Hi, Matt. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Just fine. Uh, Tanner is healing well. Uh, the surgery that he had in November is, was a more minimally invasive surgery, which has allowed him to uh, uh, rehab at a much faster rate than previous 
type of surgeries or um so this is this is a good thing yeah he's excited he'll in fact he, i think he's been cleared um in about a month he'll be cleared ah. to be full live and uh he's excited to work out in the summer and uh so that's he, there's a lot looking forward to for him. That's you know what totally. And in fact, he graduates. He graduates. Does he really? in April? Yeah. So and, uh, how nice for you. So then you'll only have one more child at BYU, right? Well, he'll stay, of course, through the fall and yeah. take some postgraduate classes. And then yes, our um, Abigail will come back for her sophomore season. And, and she's uh, playing she's, soccer. Is that right? No, she's on the basketball team. Basketball she's team. She's a six foot. Uh, <sighs> Is she uh, really? What do you call it? Phenom. Guard, six foot guard. Yeah. <laughs> Is she really? <laughs> Is she? That's pretty awesome. But uh, you know, yeah. I, I, um, I, I just think if there's so much pressure on these quarterbacks, and yet, uh, and then it's got to be crazy for Tanner to sit there and have to watch and watch and mm-hmm. not be able to go throw mm-hmm. and do what everything he wants to do. But that's neat. So in about a month, he'll be cleared to go. Yeah. And he has a good attitude about it. Does he? You know, he recognizes that this is the way it is, yeah. but he'll he'll be competing, and, and he's right in there. So oh, he's very, very excited about that's it. That's good. Well, and he's got great parents, thank heavens, for that. <laughs> hey, I have been reading your intuitive eating stuff, and it is awesome. Talk, mm-hmm. talk about um, – you you already have had this blog that's been really successful, and you help a lot of people figure out their diets and, and how to make – how to make it work for um, you know for people that have gone through uh, what's it called uh, gastro? Um, uh, it's weight loss surgery. Weight loss surgery. Simple yeah. way to say it. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, gastro bypass. Or uh, we're also talking about individuals. So this applies to to those individuals, but also all of us who yeah. get caught up in this. Um, need to lose weight, and so we go on to whatever diet our friends or magazines or, um, you know, neighbor is suggesting that we do. Um, and we're losing track of the innate intuitive, um, signals that really are there to help guide us. We're born with these signals yeah, and, uh, we just get really, um, we start ignoring them at a, at a certain time in our life and, and the diet, you know, it's a billion-dollar industry. No wonder we're caught up in it. But um, it, they just don't work, and mm. we have to find another way. So intuitive eating is actually a program, or a, it was started uh, as a book uh, written by two registered dietitians who have continued to um, support this whole principle. It started many, many years ago. I heard about it probably mm, 15, 20 years ago um, as a uh, dietitian way back, and it has continued. It just sticks around because it's true. These it principles is true. are true, and so I thought that it would be um, a good thing on my blog to start talking a little bit more in depth about what is intuitive eating and how can we incorporate those principles into our life. Because when you look at it, diet applies to so much anyway to our self esteem, our sense of who we are our identity, our health, our ability to handle stuff, plus our mental health, all of these different categories. And and yet, like you're telling us, um, it's all – we're already wired to know how mm-hmm. to do it, but it's almost mm-hmm. like we've spent too much time just following the diet world and all of these outsiders instead of learning to know ourselves. 
That is exactly, you said it so well. We Thank are you. wired. We have that inside of us. Yeah, you said that really well. And the benefits of intuitive eating are really incredible. And they're all the things that we're wanting to achieve um, through a, a diet. But really, um, you know, we can do it. We, I mean, we need to be guided. There's no question. And if, particularly if we have been on that yo-yo pattern for so long, we need to be rewired. And um, that's why the help of a dietitian who is um, uh, trained or um, counseled in intuitive eating can be very, very helpful. So um, the benefits really like high self-esteem, um, a better body image, more satisfaction with your life, and even like uh, a lower BMI that, or you know, a little bit of weight loss, yeah. lower cholesterol, lower triglycerides, all of those good things, and uh, we just get off that get off that wheel. That, yeah, that hamster wheel. Uh, so one mm-hmm. of the first rules you talk about um, and bring up is the idea that you, you really have to get rid of the diet mentality. Yeah, rejecting that diet mentality. You have to, and this is a hard one because we are so hardwired to, you know, feeling like, oh, I've got to go on a diet to lose weight. Um, and there are certain principles of dieting that are important. Um, but the diets just don't work. If you've been, as a lot of us have been, you know, on a particular prescribed diet plan and you've lost some weight, but then you, you perhaps go off the diet, then the weight comes back. You feel like a failure. Mm. And it's not you. It's just that you have ignored some of your signals by restricting your eating so dramatically and perhaps even have eliminated food groups. Um, and that is not a natural, that's not something we need to be doing regularly. So you have to uh, come to terms with, I'm not going to go on that next diet. Um, and the diet mentality also says things like, I'm, I'm bad if I eat that donut. It means I don't have the willpower. Yeah. I'm, I'm a failure. And, and that leads to such negative thinking. And you can never create positive change in an environment of negativity. Uh, so we have to be, you know, refocus. Like instead of looking at that donut as an enemy, we need to start looking at food as, um, you know, this is just food. And I, am, I, am I hungry? Do I want this? Do I need this? How will I feel if I eat this? I mean, there's just certain questions that you really need to be asking and reframing so that we can put food in its perspective. And in, fa- in fact, in my program, I teach that when we start asking those self-reflective, introspective questions, it moves us to a higher brain instead of just kind of the fight or flight brain. It moves us mm-hmm. to this the mm-hmm. prefrontal cortex where we make better decisions, we live a better life. So oh, asking those questions yeah, exactly take you to that, that part of your brain. I agree. That applies to food and any decision that we make, but particularly as it relates to um, that pleasure center, um, there are choices that we can make. Um, and I, I agree that I think That's that cool. engages other parts of the brain than just that, um, yes, I want it, you know, kind right. of thing. Right. Uh, your second point you make is to honor the hunger. Being hungry right. is telling you something. Don't just ignore it. Exactly. It's an important thing. Um, it's what guides us, and we lose touch with it. 
Um, and unfortunately, the heavier we get, we actually lose the ability to um, listen to those signals of hunger. Um, there's just some chemicals that get ignored um, when when we get heavier. And those there are some appetite hormones as um, as well as brain stimulus. So um, the appetite hormones are there to guide us. They have I have two new baby granddaughters. Mm. Um, in our family, they oh, were just born last Oh, that's the best! Week. Oh, I love and that. You, isn't it so fun? It's the best and you ever. Watch them. I haven't met them yet, but you know, just all babies do this when they're born, um, and when all of us, we have this natural instinct to want to eat. We're hungry. We cry out, and then, um, as a good mother would do, good mother and father, they're going to feed that child, and. Um, our daughter-in-law is actually feeding those twins every every three hours. Oh, wow. So. They yeah. sleep for two. Yeah. Actually, they eat, sleep for two and they eat for one. They sleep for two. Oh, my heavens. Are they twins and, then? Yes. Oh, my heavens. Twins, identical twins. I know. And so there's a lot going on there, but they're expressing those innate hunger signals just like all of us have them. So every couple hours, you want to check in with yourself, just like those babies are. How am I feeling? Um, what is my hunger level? And I use a hunger scale to help guide people. On a scale of 0 to 10, with 0 being famished and 10 being absolutely Thanksgiving stuff, where am I on that spectrum? That's good. And generally speaking, we want to hang out around a 3 to a 7. Three being hungry, I need to eat, and seven being comfortable or satisfied. So, um, am I hungry? What can I eat right now that will help get help me satisfy me? And the way we eat, um, how we eat, is very important. We need to eat slowly, consciously, mindful, and check in even in the middle of the meal. How hungry am I now? And am I can I am I satisfied? Mm. Can I stop now? It seems like, and you've talked about it before, and but one of the other points you make here is that you've got to kind of make peace with food. A lot of us have mm-hmm. a really weird mm-hmm. love-hate relationship going on with our food. That is true. We view food almost as an enemy, and I said that before. And we, we label foods as good and bad, and and then that makes us good, feel good, or feel bad if we eat those good and bad foods. So we have to like erase all of those uh, labels that we place on food and view food as a whole group. Yes, some foods are healthier than others, but it doesn't mean that we never have foods that are not necessarily healthy. It means we need a balance of those things in our life. And if we want that chocolate chip cookie right out of the oven because they taste so good, you allow yourself, you give yourself ultimate, unconditional permission, and you eat that cookie, and you love it every bite. Mm, there <laughs> and, you go. And it, it's when we, you know, start then using food maybe for things that have nothing to do with being hungry, um, and and then binge eat, then we're getting into trouble, and that's where food becomes a real, mm, um, you know, that's an unhealthy pattern. For sure. What you, in um, fact, you call but, it challenging the food police because we have that voice mm-hmm. in our head that is like uh, – that's always judging us or like 
telling exactly. us no. And, and basically, you're saying we, there, we need to take that on and, and overtly notice when the food police, you know, where the healthy mind is and the unhealthy mind. Yes. And um, that police station is housed way deep in our psyche. And uh, it's full of negative barbs and hopeless phrases. Uh, we feel guilt-ridden if we eat something. So, yes, that um, we got to change that food police, and um, that's a, that takes some time. And there's some some steps, some workbook uh, uh, principles that you can apply to help get rid of that that food police in your head. But again, when you are eating a meal, um, just the more positive thing is to say, um, this tastes so good. I love every bite. And then, of course, honoring um, the next step, which is feeling, you know, respecting your fullness. But while you're eating, just enjoying the food rather than being punitive or feeling like, oh, I shouldn't be eating this. That's the food police. Yeah. And by the way, a dietitian is not a food police. Hopefully a dietitian yeah. is someone who can help guide <laughs> you. We're not judging. We're really just helping people along to feel better about themselves and their relationship with food. Now, see, that's that's it. And it's and it's because a lot of times we might think of our mother or our parent being the food police. But so, whatever it is, as an adult, it's it's now kind of your inner mind that that you use to beat yourself up and hopefully you don't tase yourself but um well i do think there have been a lot of food polices in our lives like you said a parent probably early on from your life may have said you know you finish that plate and eat everything on that plate and and that created you know a mindset that if i don't finish my plate i'm a bad person right and and we've got to change that and and recognize that that has nothing to do with being a good or a bad person. It so just true. has to do with honoring your hunger. Your um, your last principle is uh, to respect your fullness. When your body's sending mm-hmm. the signals, I guess you have to first notice the signals and then you, you know mm-hmm. let the si- signal be your guide. Just like with hunger, it's a, a natural signal that we want to respect, and that means um, stopping at a point when we feel comfortable, and it might mean in the middle of your plate. It might be even in the middle of that chocolate chip cookie, and that takes, you know, a a tremendous amount of understanding and respect for your body, for your health, for how you feel, um, because you remember that if I eat too much, I don't feel good, and... um, so that's why you have to really respect that. And that's a difficult one, too. And again, diets won't always do that for you. They will often prescribe a certain amount of food that they want you to eat. And sometimes that means that you aren't full enough. And uh, so that's important to recognize that, boy, what this diet tells me that I should be eating yeah. isn't enough for me. And I'm still hungry. I still want more. And then allowing yourself to eat a few more bites until you are full and satisfied. Mm. Well, and to notice your fullness, too, where if it happened too quickly, if if what mm-hmm. you're feeling after isn't full but just upset and sick, mm-hmm. then you've maybe gone to – I mean, just notice what your body's telling you. Exactly. My husband, he's given me permission to say this, but he – 
he is trying to drop about 30 pounds. Oh, wow. And he has had um, some challenges with um, going on diets and feeling very, very hungry. So we talked about it at length, and we wanted I wanted to find out, is it really hunger that you're feeling? You know, because um, he said, I'll come home and I'll eat a certain amount of food, and I... And it sounds like it would be an amount of food that should satisfy him, you know, yeah. but then later on, he's still hungry. And, and I'll say, well, you need to honor that hunger, um, you know, respect the fact that you're not hungry, eat a little bit more, but then recognize, try to understand, am I really hungry or is it, am I just super tired because he's exhausted? Is it because I want to avoid the, the hard work that I have yet to accomplish today? So I'm, a, I'm using food as an avoidance. Um, you know, so you have to really assess, is that really hunger or is it something else? Is it a a similar type of motion where I want to use food as a way to handle that emotion? Now, Karen, you know, it it also, it's just so much of what you teach us over and over is it's your body. Get to know it. It's, it's going to run this process accurately. It's just we got to keep our head out of it and and manage it a lot better. Karen Mangum is, is her name. Go check out her website, InsideKaren'sKitchen.com. InsideKaren'sKitchen.com. Tons of awesome recipes. Plus, you can go get um, uh, the entire blog entry about uh, what is intuitive eating. And um, she'll also then guide you to some some links where you can go purchase the book and workbooks to learn how to, to actually process through those five steps that we just went through. Well, we will continue the journey. Up next, we'll do a little empty news for you. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. Welcome back, friends. It's time for a little empty news uh, here on the Matt Townsend Show. And we're going to start off with the uh, the old shoplifting trick that we see about three or four times a year. Uh, this time, a 23-year-old Florida man accused of stealing nearly $300 in meat from Walmart was charged with shoplifting. Yes, $300 in meat. So he's obviously going for the nice prime cuts. Yes, which cuts did he choose, does it say? <laughs> Uh, yeah, he left the store, was stopped by police. Uh, the lady that stopped him, um, he admitted to the officers that he had failed to pay for the meat. Mm. And, oh, and the dog food. Oh, okay. He, he got some. Yeah, but he, what he had stolen was some uncooked bacon, mm. spare ribs, and dog food. Okay. Uh, also, a, a New York strip steak and a boneless chops, some stew meat, mm. and ribeye steak, uh, and some top sirloin. Was the dog food just an attempt to make it look like he was there for dog food? Yeah, trying I, to make it look well, good. Well, I think you know because he he looks he wants to look like he has a heart. Okay, he's not just this is this meat isn't just for him. He got the dog something. Well, no, you, like you go to the store and maybe you're going to buy something awkward, so you buy two yeah. or three other things just to make it look good, and it just ends up being weird to begin with. So he got well, dog but, food mixed in with a bunch of. By meat. the way, the dog food that's a lot of weight. Yeah. So if, if you're going to steal something, you know, if he got a big bag, yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe you just got a can. Maybe well, a couple cans. Historically, these guys stuff it down their their shorts, well, yeah. their pants. Yeah, they that's were, what I was wondering is how yeah. do you get three hundred pounds of meat out of his? They wear sweats and then just drop it in, and then you know the sweats have that yeah. elastic around the ankle, so it all just sort of collects. And then you just you just drag one leg <laughs> full of meat. And, well, and by the way, some of these steaks, like maybe you'd want to. Well, that's why he did the boneless chops. Right. You don't want all the extra weight of the bones. Yeah. 
And it, yeah. it kind of takes up space when you have more meat. Well, this is this is what we now on the show call the meat sweats. Well, yeah, literally. It's, it's not because you ate so much meat. It's because you're sweating just to get the meat out of the store. Mm. And you're wearing your sweatpants that are meaty looking. Uh, anyway, so he's he's going to be gone for a long time. Wait till he finds out uh, the kind of meat he's going to get uh, in prison. Man. It's, it's like spam yeah. and, and yeah. It's, it's questionable. It's meat surprise. It's gamey. Dog food. It's, it might be dog food. <laughs> might be back to the dog food. Hey, uh, some crews also in Rhode Island are finally all over and uh, a, a telephone pole that used to be taped uh, with duct tape. It was the only thing holding the the pole up. The pole was split into two several weeks ago when it was struck by a truck. But I guess they were waiting for the the new pole to arrive. Ah, so this will fix it. Yeah, a little and duct tape. So they use the duct tape now. They've actually put in a permanent repair, and uh, you know. Sometimes you just have to tape things until you can get the repair shipped in. There's a uh, photo sharing website I'll go to. And the, whoever runs it just goes and grabs a bunch of photographs of things that people have done where they fixed it themselves. And you can really tell. Yeah. And mostly it involves duct tape. Yeah. There are cars and all kinds of things. Do you know how many cars are still on the road simply because duct tape was invented? Yeah. Back in the day, you couldn't keep the car together without duct tape. Back yeah. when I went to camp, I uh, I kind of like turned my ankle and there was a girl there who said, oh, I can totally make you an ankle brace out of duct tape. And so what she did is she just took a roll of duct tape and wrapped it around my ankle a bunch of times. And that's how I found out I was allergic to adhesive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's always fun, too, because then you've got to take the duct tape off your ankle. And then you found out that your skin, not not only allergic, but that the duct tape removes like seven layers of skin. Yeah. yeah. And all your body hair. Extreme exfoliation. Yeah. <laughs> Not a bad thing. <laughs> um, also, we're going to talk about in the empty news section, uh, an Arkansas man who um, – have you ever watched those YouTube videos about fainting goats? Yes. So he is now the human version of the fainting goat. He was pulled over by police and according to the the police documents, um, he was, by the way, driving a stolen vehicle. The car was found with 40-year-old Jerome Matthew McConnell in the driver's seat who was dis- detained as officers confirmed that the car was stolen and that charges were pending. But when the officers told McConnell that he was being arrested, he appeared to pass out in the back of the patrol unit. Hmm. He just passed out. He had a medical episode. Yeah, had a, me- a medical emergency. Yeah. Wow. So the, the uh, emergency medical personnel responded. They took his vitals. And they took him to the hospital, and then at the hospital they conducted a bunch of tests, but they then concluded that he was faking. He's, he's mm. just pretending to be unconscious, and they discharged him to go back to jail. Mm, nice try. He did the old fainting goat. Ah. Sad. You can't even faint your way out of this one, buddy. Uh, McConnell appeared to pass out again in the wheelchair when they were taking him out. He's just got one of those fainting spells. The problem is in prison, that's not something you're going to want to keep doing. Because they're going to steal his lunch. They're going to, you know. Yeah, it seems like that would work less. Rob him blind. Hey, he's fainting again, guys. Anyway, uh, it's not a great way to get out of a prison term, folks. You're not going to faint your way out of it. Uh, Straight ahead, we'll be talking to two of our favorite fainters. Uh, I believe it's going to be Jason and Jerem today. The gang gathered to talk sports with us from BYU Sports Nation. That'll be straight ahead.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it is time. It's time to now uh, head over to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. And today it's Jason and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. Matty. Hello. Welcome uh, back. How are you guys doing? It's good to be back. That's I missed solid, you. man. Yeah. How was your weekend? I had a long week. It was incredible. Like, so what, did you do anything fun? I, like, was it exciting? We went hiking. We played tons of tennis. Uh, went to, watched a lot of uh, The Office. Okay. And... Just some to... random office building or the actual no. show, The Office? Yeah, just some random office building. We just go sit in front of it and watch okay. it. So fun. And by the way, watched a lot of The Masters, which was interesting because I've never been able to get my family into The Masters, and we loved it. The Bass Masters? Is yeah, that what we're talking Bass about? Masters. Great stuff. <laughs> <laughs> we, we're a really boring family, but um, <laughs> we, we had a lot of boring, exciting things. Did you guys watch The Masters? Indeed. Zero seconds. Are you serious? I, I it, it normally does I would yeah. It does nothing for me. But it was some pretty good golf. Yeah, yeah. What, I, was what watching, about, I was watching the Jazz game yesterday as we clinched the playoff, and yeah, I said we. Yeah, we. Now, you know you're not playing, right? Eh, it's well, debatable. Well, big week. The Jazz can get the three seed. <laughs> can you imagine? <laughs> no, I can't. Not not after being nine games under five hundred. Well, it's crazy. And do you remember when we were all thinking, well, the West is just too good. The West is. All the teams are coming from the West. I really think the fact that Donovan Mitchell wore BYU socks the other day really propelled them uh, to clinching the playoff spot yesterday. Hold on. Did he really? He did. That's huge. I'm just saying. Maybe just a little luck from heaven right there. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, what do you think about Tony Finau popping his ankle back into place? Um, it It was one thing for him to pop it in place and then play it all. Yeah, it's another for him to go six under on Sunday in round four. Unbelievable! To finish seven under, to finish top ten, yeah. to qualify for the Masters again yeah. automatically from that incredible performance from Tony Fina, who's like the only Polynesian golfer on the tour, it's a huge. Utah, a good dude, a former offered scholarship from BYU Men's Golf, really uh, guy, but went pro instead. Oh. That was a good decision. What a loser! He's uh. <laughs> He's an incredible dude. It was pretty cool to well, see. Well, and when the the incident happened where he ended up, you know, having to pop the ankle back into place, <laughs> you know, you felt bad and like, yeah. oh man. Oh, that's you know, it was it was kind of a it, it was a an embarrassing story. That's at what first. he said. He said, I was embarrassed. But then it adds to the lore of uh-huh. Tony Finau with what he did at the yes. Masters. Yes. It adds to the story. It actually was a good thing. I agree. I totally agree. I didn't realize that he is in the top. He's like 11th in money this year in the PGA Tour. Like he's up in like Matt Townsend. He's he's well not not era. he's not there money wise yet, but he'll get there. Okay, well, it's he's, something to aspire he's to. He's getting closer. Yeah, he's quite the man. Oh, that was cool. And then Patrick Reed pulled it out. I thought he was going to I thought McIlroy was going to do a big push, and then I thought Speeth was going to catch up, and then who even thought about what's his name, Ricky Fowler. Ricky Fowler, Blaine's, Blaine's son. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that was Blaine, Blaine Fowler's son. That's awesome. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's, it's it's a very athletic family. Everything always comes back to BYU one way or another. <laughs> hey, okay, so talk to me about the blue and white game. Did we learn anything? We learned some things. Yeah. What, and anything that you're going to talk about on your show? We, we learned a little bit about the quarterbacks. There may have been a guy taking an edge up on the other guys. Really? We'll, we'll talk about who stood out. At the, we're going to talk about QB depth chart. We're going to talk about running back depth chart. Yeah, the, the running back that I assumed would be the starter in the spring 
in my mind, solidified it on Saturday. Really? Yeah. Is yeah. it a Katoa? Okay. Okay. I'll, no, no, no. It's Save it for the tease, Matt. I mean, Save it for your show. Save it for your show. He's in the mix, and he got a lot of runs. Yes, he did. He? carries 86 yards. He was my son's favorite uh, friend in his mission. Best friend. They loved each other. Your son went to Independence? Yes, yes, sir. That's where nice. I'm from. We were just talking oh, about it's where I'm from. Katoa going to Independence. The yeah. New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem. That's where you're from. I knew, I thought I sensed something different about you. Yes. In a good yes. way. I'll have to. Independent. Shout out to the Independence Second Ward. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We got that taken care of. Founded in 1838. <laughs> yeah. I haven't been in that ward for almost 30 years, but I'm giving them a shout out. Neither have a lot of those people. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Okay, so what else is on your show? Kalani Sataki will join us. Wow. Uh, my conversation with Tanner Mangum after the scrimmage. By the way, we just had an update from his mother. Hmm? Karen, what'd you say? Uh, she said he's, I think, going to be good to go in a month. Okay. Okay. That may or may not to, be part way, of the interview. Way to destroy our tease about the anime. Sorry. <laughs> just kidding. Sorry to jump all over your teases today. And way to just completely ruin the fact that independence is the New Jerusalem. That's right. Yeah. Sorry Spoiler that. alert, New Jerusalem. Do you think the old Jerusalem's like, excuse me? What? How dare they use our Salem, brand? Massachusetts is like, we're, well, we're Salem. We're part of that. <laughs> no, that's different. That's still different. Yeah. Salem, okay. Utah, Salem. Anything Oregon. else you want to uh, ruin for no, us, no. Matt? Yeah, what well, else any you other want spoilers? Ruin, are there any other? Are there, maybe just you go with Does any Haley other Does Haley Joel Osment see dead people huh. in uh, Sixth Sense? Yeah. What else do you, guys... do you want to spoil? Uh, something from the Han Solo movie? <laughs> um, no, I'm good Chewbacca there. dies in the prequel? <laughs> <laughs> you going to tell us that, too? Oh, <laughs> You guys. It's not like a female uh, Wookiee in the yeah. trailer or something. I, there may have been. Their love interest I was going to say, it, it may look like Chewbacca is kissing another Wookiee. Really? Yeah. I better <laughs> go watch that. I try not to watch Wookiee kissing. Wookiee affection makes me get the willies. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you're talking about uh, WPDAs? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, those are the worst. <laughs> Wookie public displays. Too much Wookie is an issue, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, I, in fact, that used to be on the dating game, didn't it? Wookie. Oh no, that was Nookie. That was Sorry. the newlywed game. That was. Oh yeah, it was the newlywed game. Yes, That's it was right. the newlywed game. Um, so you guys are going to have a great show, I can tell. <laughs> yes, I can tell, and I've already stolen some of your thunder. Um, but you do have you have the guy, the big guy, Kalani, is on the show. In studio. In studio big we show. will be talking to him face-to-face. I'm excited about I'm it. I'm going to try to catch him before he comes in. Okay. See if I can get him get his autograph and stuff. He probably would give it to you. I know he would. He's that kind of guy. He's a nice guy. He's a great guy. Hey, um, by the way, I've been watching the, um, Michigan, the Michigan Netflix series on the Michigan team. I can't remember what it's called. Which but, Michigan team? Um, Michigan football team. Oh, okay. But I've decided that BYU needs to bring back their 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 series of BYU football. I can't remember what it was called. I'm, inside BYU football. Inside BYU well, that, football. That's all up to the team. I know, but they let's get on it. Let's do it. Well, let's, Pitch that to if, him. When you, when you stop to get Kalani's signature. There could be a discussion about that. Okay. Just I, ask him. I've been watching All or Nothing with the Michigan Wolverines, and I'd rather yeah. be watching BYU Cougar stuff. So I, I'll yeah, talk was, to him about it. It was a fun show uh, in 20... Uh, 15. That's fun. Oh, those were the days. Those That's were the cool days. Okay, guys, I got to let you go. Go work out. Go go pump up and go have a great show. And sorry I stole all your teases. 
Um, again, BYU Sports Nation, folks, it's just about three and a half minutes away. You're not going to want to miss it. Not going to want to miss it. Uh, let's get to our hero story of the day. As you know, we always like to end on a happy note. And our hero today is a pizza delivery man's customer service was on fire. Literally, Kentucky pizza driver Ralph Lettner says that he was delivering a pizza to a mobile home park when he saw a home on fire. Lettner says he jumped out of his car and raced into the home to shut off the breaker. He found the homeowner, Jesse Decker, and one other person inside, according to AP reports. Making matters worse, Lettner said that Decker didn't want to leave. As he was trying to stop the blaze himself, I got on, down on my hands and knees. Smoke was everywhere. I made my way back into the kitchen and got him out his back door, 26-year-old recalled. Both individuals got out safely and no one was injured in the chaos. Homeowner's Jesse Decker says Lettner is a hero who saved his home and his life. Lettner says his parents raised him to help people in need. I got a beautiful wife and two kids at home, so I've got to make sure I keep myself safe for them. But my parents raised me to make sure that, uh, you know, if there is something in someone in need, you got to go help that person. Put your life on the line, Leitner said, if you have to. He says he wasn't even supposed to be at work that day, but he had uh, stayed past the end of his shift because it was so busy. Firefighters say an electrical problem is what caused the fire. And that, my friends, is what a hero looks like. And we can all do it. We can be there for everybody that needs it. Let's just stand up and, and take our turn. That's the show. We'll be back again tomorrow. Stick with us. BYU Sports Nation is up next.